Okay. You scare okay. him. Get him. He does a thing where he just stared to you all day. Yeah. That's the difference between like Matooming cat. Nah, Steve stares at me all day. Really? Oh yeah. Cause cats are like more independent. They kind of go off and do their own thing. Yeah. Like we might be getting a cat soon. Oh. Oh yeah, you were mentioning. But, yeah, yeah. But, How's boy gonna take that? Whenever you like have boy over. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll probably be like if we need to take care of him. It might be like a one of us staying at like my brother's place. Yeah, at your brother's place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ain't yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't think I don't think he'll do well. But boy, like um, it usually boy. <laughs> he usually yeah he'd go up. He's um he's a he's a needy boy. He's very sweet. He's very affectionate. But he's needy, and he's needy always boy. just like. He'll hang out with you and he'll just sort of lie down next to you. But most of the time you'll be like on the couch, like working and you just see that <laughs> you just see the face like, yeah. Waiting for you to do the next thing. And if you get up to you take a piss or something, it's like, Oh shit, are we going out? You get so excited and the, te- yeah. to the fucking tail twagging and everything. It's like, no, I'm just going to the bathroom. He follows you into the bathroom. He'll sit down while you do your business. <laughs> He's a good old boy. Yeah. Steve's a bit dog-like like that, though. She, like, follows us around. That tweet? Yeah. When we first got him, like, a week ago now, we were playing with him with his squeaky toy, obviously. And his favorite game is if you get all the squeaky toys together and you squeeze them all at once and then you throw them in the air and he, like, freaks out. He doesn't know which one to go for. And, then, <laughs> and you just keep throwing them at him. And we were doing that and Nathan came downstairs and they're like knocking on the door like are you okay <laughs> we opened the door and they're like what's happening and i was like oh we have we're taking care of my brother's dog and they're like oh my god we thought you had mice <laughs> like just an <laughs> army squeaking. of mice in the house and i was like no no mice like we'd be just killing what did you think was happening that the mice had like overtaken us <laughs> and were like eating us alive it's like a like a mice, you know, like a mouse king or whatever forms. Like they <laughs> yeah. all like, they all like go almost like the, you know, little kids in a trench coat thing. And they just yes. all might form like one big or like, like giant mouse. This is a deep, <laughs> this is a deep cut. But if you know, you know, matrix three, this is the kind mm. of content you come here for in yeah. the matrix three. Neo had a big fight with Agent Smith at the end, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's like loads of Agent other. There's millions of them. There's millions of them, but they're just watching. It's like a one-on-one fight in the rain. They're flying around and stuff. In the video game, um, Matrix Path of Neo on PS2, (laughs) they change it so they all like form together to make a giant Agent Smith. <laughs> and that's what you fight. And I don't know why they did that. Because it's a weird... And they changed the ending of the movie because it's kind of a downer ending. If you're like playing it at the game, you're like, oh, spoilers, I die at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's what it reminds me of. Weird. King, well, King Agent never, Smith rap. Yeah, I've never played that before. It's a good game. Um, it's a good game, uh, I'm surprised, like, they're even letting us talk. Oh, yeah, guys. We got busted. Yeah, we got busted. We got busted. I think we fucked around on too many juries, and I think we got done for, like, obstruction of justice. Yeah. All frames for murder. Fuck around, find out. Fuck around, find out, bro. And we ended up behind bars. This is a lesson to fathers out out there. (laughs) 
Wow. You know what? We should Freaky keep a Friday. checklist. We should keep a checklist of, uh, you know, the, you know, the delousing scenes and stuff. Like how many times we see that. In this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like we this, got at least one. This movie's a good starting point. Yeah. Obviously it's like one of the biggest ones, but like it like details the step-by-step process of like going through the jail, like fresh me, mm. you know, like, and then going yeah. in and then stripping you and shit and then being washed and, you're mm. working your way up that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Getting a job and all sorts of job. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we should get into it. Welcome to the Botchel Syndicate! Lockdown! Oh, shit. Wow. Couldn't even finish it. Yeah. We're just locked down again. We're just locked down. I mean, this is kind of like interesting because like, I feel like we lost our minds when we were like locked down. Uh, because of viruses and then we lost our minds a little bit more when we, we were sent to war and now it's mm. like we've kind of like got both at the same time yeah because great. like you know it's like we're locked down but then it's also like we're being forced to be like prison entertainment and yeah. they, they let us keep the podcast which doesn't make sense i'm surprised they let boy come in i don't know <laughs> like I don't know if you like take some weird like pet visit thing or whatever like yeah you know, like pet allowed like when you get flat yeah, it was like either you could do conjugal visits or pets allowed. Pep. And you pick Dusty pets. Dusty with pet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, but speaking of viruses, yeah. I apologize because I'm ill again with a different yes. thing. So I'm a bit bunged <laughs> up. I'm at the end of it. I feel okay. But yeah. I'm a bit sniffly, so I apologize in advance. Yeah. Um, it was annoying because I got a stomach bug, as you all know. And mm. then... I was like, and I was sick. And you were sick. And it's like, usually when yeah. you're sick, you're like, you're good for a little while. But this was like the next week. Suddenly, it was like, my throat hurt. My nose got yeah. stuffed up. I just, my head really hurt. It was just like a really shit head cold. My sinuses are fucked anyway. So I always get head cold. But like, yeah, off the back of that, it was just so annoying. <laughs> like, just to be... And it wasn't bad enough to like... And not that I could really like take more time off work but it's just like getting time off work feeling better for like a few days and then immediately going back to work and like getting ill and i think it's just something going around yeah the cinema and it's just really frustrating I, it's not it's not me either because i i never went in again i was going to go in like yeah last week or the week before and i didn't go in so i didn't pass anything on to people but yeah, yeah, it was funny because like the last two weeks, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm sounding better. I'm feeling better. But like I was listening back to it when I was editing. I was like, dude, I do not sound better at all. <laughs> like I sound kind of shitty. So I didn't sound as bad as I did like in the sick episode, but I still sounded pretty shitty. Um, but then I was like going to feel good because like, you know, I, I was at the gym and shit again and I like started to get my shit get back. back man, it. I was feeling I had a, like a really good day yesterday. Like, you know, was able to run a mile content like you know continuously nice. non-stop without like his the last few times i tried to do that i couldn't even make it like half a mile before like i was gassing out because my lungs were all fucked up <laughs> yeah and, but now i feel bad because i can't like i can't come on here and like boast um because then i feel bad that you yeah feel that's shitty. fucked up <laughs> <laughs> but that's good in the long run it's good like yeah to like we're gym bro now we're gym bro we're gym yeah. we're gymming yeah i mean what we're, else can we're you do in prison I, I, dude, yeah. I'm getting fucking swole in jail. Yes. There's nothing yes. else to do. This and read a Bible. Yeah. Um, but like, 
like, it, you know, like you need, you know, like being ill forced you to take time off, but like resting and healing, you know, that's when your muscles grow and yeah. it's actually really good for you. Can when you come back, you can, you can suddenly do more in the gym. Mm-hmm. It feels like it should yeah. be the opposite, but it's not. That's true. I did have like a few days, like I couldn't go for like a week and then came back and had a few like kind of struggle days. And then finally just, it started clicking, man. I'm feeling good. Feeling good again. Took a day off today, but like I feel it today and I'm like, yeah, dude, that's good. It's weird to think like, man, I'm happy to feel like pain slightly because you know, it's working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, you did something good the day before if you feel a slight pain, you know, it's like, all right, cool. Yeah. That's like, I actually did something. Yes. Yeah. I feel good about myself for once. Uh, we'll keep you guys, you know, up to date of how our gym bro bodies are going. But yeah. uh, and write us, you know, yeah, write us, send us, send us some letters. Uh, yeah. They'll let us check. Um, that the guy you know, in here can who can stuff. read them all for us. Yeah, he's got he's got like he's you know cool. access to you know our twitters and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, and our Patreon. So if you you want to hit us up, we're still going to be creating content and stuff. It's Don't weird worry. that again that in jail they still let us use the podcast social media. Yeah, surely I don't you know. They were saying something no, about it makes prisoners feel better, but like everybody like I've talked program, to, yeah. don't listen to this shit. So I like I was like, yeah, we're doing the podcast, and they were like, what podcast? And I told them the Podshell Cinecast, and they were like, never heard of it. It's like everybody in here, no one's heard of it. So I don't really understand why they're letting us do it either. Most of these people like know. what the podcast, <laughs> and then they start jabbing. <laughs> like, I've been in here for the shank. It's like I've been in here since 1982. I don't know what a podcast. Yeah, (laughs) the world changed. I don't think I can make it out there. Well, Phil, the uh, German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer wrote: "If you want a safe compass to guide you through life and to banish all doubt as to the right way of looking at it, you cannot do better than accustom yourself to regard this world as a penitentiary." If you accustom yourself to this view of life, you will regulate your expectations accordingly and cease to look upon all of its disagreeable incidents, great and small, its sufferings, its worries, its misery, as anything unusual or irregular. Nay, you will find that everything is as it should be in a world where each of us pays the penalty of existence in his own peculiar way. So, Phil, I say if life is already a prison... We may as well break the law!
did you like look for that or did you stumble upon it or like i stumbled upon that quote and i thought it was fucking brilliant because i was like life is a prison <laughs> and then I, like, I found the we perfect. are all prisoners. <laughs> it's also schopenhauer which is like great just like i feel like you hear his name a lot and it's just like yeah let's quote this fucking dude i don't know anything else about him that's the guy with the cat right schopenhauer's cat and he put the cat in the prison yeah, 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 sure. Schopenhauer yeah. and the cat. <laughs> yeah, and the cat, like, you know, if the cat rehabilitated, you don't know until you open the box. <laughs> There's so many people there in the philosophy right now. Just like, fuck you guys. You, you know it's a joke. You know it's a joke because Jonathan <laughs> is the world's biggest TBBT fan. And there was yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. references to that yeah, in yeah. that show. Absolutely. Yeah. This trippy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Also, law is the one where it, you know anything that can happen will happen. <laughs> <laughs> All the Interstellar fans are like, <laughs> God damn this podcast! <laughs> All right, Phil, we've done the crime. We've been tried before a jury of our peers, and now we must do the time. <sighs> it's the final part of the Breaking the Law arc. We will be talking about a prison movie, a top tier genre. In my own opinion, yes, I'm really excited to be in this portion of, of the Breaking the Law arc. And this week, we'll kick off this final portion of the arc with one of the most heralded films of all time. A film that has been number one on IMDb's, that's the Internet Movie Database for all you people out there who aren't hip, top 50 for the uh, better part of 15 years. Like, no lie. And that's above the likes of... Both of the Godfather films, The Dark Knight, Twelve Angry Men, Schindler's List, The Lord of the Rings, like two of those films are in the top <laughs> ten, and it's above that. Above Pulp Fiction, above The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Phil, what glorious film are we talking about this week? <laughs> <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. This was revenge. He fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. You strike me as a remorseless man, Mr. Dufresne. I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back. I send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I'm Mr. Norton, the warden. I believe in two things, discipline, in the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. Everybody in here is innocent. Hey, what you in here for? Didn't do it. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. On the outside, I was an honest man. Straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook. I think it would be fair to say I liked Andy from the start. I don't think so. Open this door! I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living, you get busy dying. There's something inside that they can't get to that's yours. What are you talking about? Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, 
is a successful banker who is sentenced to two consecutive life terms at Shawshank Penitentiary for the murders of his wife and her lover. However, only Andy knows he didn't commit those crimes. While imprisoned, he forms a relationship <laughs> it with a fellow down naturally, convict. That yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. Fellow convict and prison smuggler, Red, played by Morgan Freeman. He experiences the brutality of prison life and adapts to become a respected inmate, including becoming an instrumental piece of a money laundering operation led by the prison warden, Samuel Norton, played by Bob Gunton. He's back. <laughs> My boy. He's back from... Uh, from, what, was uh, time? what was he in? He was in a 93 film. Um, Demolition Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I still, yeah. I'll always name it the guy from Ace Ventura. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Is that in the second one? The second one. The good one. Yeah. It's Ooh, the, uh, <laughs> take that. <laughs> Hot takes already. Hot takes. It's the 1994 prison drama written and directed by Frank Darabont based on the Stephen King novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Hot takes out the gate, Phil. Are you going to sit? Because last week. I have no memory. I don't know where you're going to go. Because last last week's episode, we ended it and we were talking about we were going to do Shawshank and you were just like, huh? and it like led me down a thing where I just felt like you were just going to be like in that camp of the people who just like are angry on the internet who keep writing about how <laughs> Shawshank's overrated. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, all right. So um, I can't, now that we've seen it, yeah, I saw again. it today. again. I mean, we've seen it before. I've seen, seen it loads it of times, but yeah, I saw it again yeah. today. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not going to fall into that camp of people, but it does have that reputation online. Yeah. So I think that yeah, was yeah. part of like the lack of excitement to go back to it. But to yeah. be fair, it had been a while since I just sat and watched it. Or and I know it very well. I've read the book. Mm. Like I, I do really like that story, and it. It's a classy movie. It's a classy <laughs> yeah, picture, yeah, man. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's extremely well made. It's fucking yeah. directed by Frank Darabont. It's Roger Deakin, like yeah. doing cinematography. Thomas Newman doing the fucking score. Dude, the score is so. It's good. so good, dude. So the fucking good. the fucking thing that played when he when he either not when he's breaking free and when they like figure out. Like when they rip the poster, like there's, yeah. there's a fucking thing that comes in. It's so good there. Even when he's breaking out, it's really cool because it's that music. It's like, dun, 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 yeah, yeah, dun, dun. it's like really so like menacing sounding. It's really cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I like because it feels period as well. Like it feels like it does old, yeah. like in a way, in a good way, like almost the way like, I mean, I absolutely love the score for Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I feel like that's one of the like most underrated films of all time anyway especially considering it was from 2007 where you had all these amazing yeah. like films coming out but that score by Nick Cave and uh, Warren Ellis is like so good and it f- the music elevates that film so much because it feels like it, sh- it could have been made in that time in a weird way even mm-hmm. though it, it it feels like modern but it's the same thing with Shawshank that music is so good in it that it like elevates the film even more yeah no for sure Shawshank above like above I think it's most impressive thing is that it ha- it feels so timeless mm-hmm. it's a film that like could have been made in any era can be watched in any era and it fucking works yeah. Like it's just a solid story executed perfectly with a stellar cast. I mean, two standout performances. And obviously Tim Robinson's great. And Tim Robinson is a great actor. But he doesn't have a lot of these. 
And mm-hmm. like this is like Morgan Freeman's like most defining role or like it maybe yeah. breakout it's role. It's the one yeah, I don't it's, know. It's early it's on. It's funny because like But you, he's always you, old to me, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you when you think of Morgan Freeman, you think like, oh man, he's an old hand. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. especially nowadays. And he's it's almost it's similar to like Samuel Jackson. They both were yeah. a little bit older in their career. For sure. And yeah. when once they broke through roughly around the same time. Like it was almost like they were kind of unstoppable in the point of being like these really respected African American, like a bit more, like Morgan Freeman's a little bit older, but like, you know, they're older and mm. they like are really fucking good at what they do. And yeah. they're both so different in a way as well, you know, like, but they have like this like quality of being like, I guess because there weren't that many as well anyway. Mm. Uh, but they were like in a world where there's like, few opportunities for like black men and black actors period black women as well like they were two of the guys who were able to like push through into the upper echelon of top tier like actors and stuff but it was both like in their later point of their career so it's kind of funny thinking like this was like in a period where morgan freeman just really fucking broke through like this yeah yeah. this film became his defining performance and it really did just push him through because like before that, I mean, like there was Driving Miss Daisy. That was the one that was really oh, like yeah. you, that. That's your breakthrough. But this was like this Cementing. is like holy yeah. shit, submitting you. Yeah. And then anything from that is just butter. Like you know, is mm. you know he's still, I don't know. Like he's done a lot of great stuff after, but I feel like this is still like hit, hit era, this is yeah. the fucking. I need thing. amazing. Like, same, in, you could say the same thing for Tim Robbins, to be honest. As yeah. well. <laughs> I mean, it's weird because he's a met like Tim Robbins in the main character. It's about yes. Andy Dufresne, but Morgan Freeman so defines our perspective in the story, like because yeah. he's telling it, he's narrating it, mm-hmm. and so much of it is like bookended by his experiences. And I think that's really good. Like, I just I love that the film covers so much. It's something that it does better than next week's film. I think it covers yeah. so much time and does it really gradually and subtly, like in terms of makeup and hair and stuff. And even how print, how the printing has changed and how the, the the times change. And you get all these like little stories happening within that get their time. Like the whole Brook sequence is mm-hmm. one of my favorites in the movie. I think it's, it's so haunting. It like really stays with you. But there's yeah. loads of little stories like that, but they don't. it doesn't feel like a series of isolated things. It's part of a bigger picture and, it, and it, it's all connected so well and it i mean you're tackling like these really broad themes and i think that's part of the reason i mean the movie is obviously about hope um in the most hopeless place you know like rihanna yeah. would say yeah um but it's like you know i think maybe that's why a reason why it's so beloved you know years later like it's still considered the best like best in the genre but best I think that's the only thing. I'm like, I, Shawshank Redemption, great. I love it. I don't know if it's the best movie ever made of all time, though. And yeah, it's like, but I, I think felt anything like we would there, get into this conversation. I think anything yeah. in that position. I'm trying to check myself here. Yeah, I, I, I think I would backlash against. There's very few movies that'd be like, yeah, that's fine. It's just I don't know. I think I think it's like the Oscar thing, right? Like, whatever Oscar don't matter, but like. There's this thing every year where we pretend that we don't care, but then we can't stop talking about them. Yeah. And then there's, there's always a thing where like certain movies are liked until they win. 
And then they thought of a backlash. Like I remember that was Shape of Water. Um, and it, I think it's maybe that sort of thing with Shawshank. Same with Forrest Gump. Like Forrest Gump, is, we love Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. But yeah. that movie's gotten, it's so big and it's so like, it permeated pop culture so much. And yeah. that, I think, breeds resentment for people where they're like, fuck this movie. I see it everywhere. Yeah. And like, I don't get it. But it, it, well, it's I was like going to say the reason. same thing. Like, I brought it up in the, um, that, that similar f- sentiment in the uh, Napoleon Dynamite episode, you know? Because, like, I was, I was saying how I saw Napoleon Dynamite, like, back before, like, anyone. It was like, I saw it in theaters. Yeah. And I went back to school and no one knew what the fuck it was. And then like, I was just like, wow, you didn't like, you didn't see anything for it. And they were like, no, but then by Christmas it blew the fuck up and it was like MTV and like vote for Pedro shirts everywhere. So it was just like, and then by that point I was just like, man, fuck Napoleon. (laughs) But it's like, it's the same thing. Anything that like popularity, it's like your favorite band hitting it big ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Or like when like, wrestling in the attitude era right when everybody was suddenly a wrestling fan and you're like you don't know it you like name this this and that you know like you don't know (laughs) anything yeah 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 when you start seeing like you know kylie jenner or something like that wearing a fucking nwo wolfpack shirt and you're like fuck off fuck you weren't even alive (laughs) (laughs) no i i um i thought we would get into that sort of conversation i think it is an interesting thing to bring up but i like that you've already kind of stepped in the foothold of like, where you're kind of saying that like anything that's in that position is going to be looked at that way. And also like saying something's the best is subjective as fuck. Like yeah, having yeah. these conversations is always really subjective because, you know, we could easily talk about like, if it was the Godfather, people would be doing the same thing. Probably. Um, I think like maybe the Godfather has like maybe room for, uh, you know, it to be there but at the same mm. time there's going to be plenty of people who like especially like you know both films really even even Shawshank doesn't do a lot for like female like characters no there's, there's no, no women, women in this movie yeah in this film in The Godfather there's like two women and they're not treated very well and yeah. it's like a lot of women don't really we've had that conversation that. Yeah. in the godfather episode where like a lot of women are like what's up with men in the godfather it's like a joke almost it's like yeah. a wink fest for like yeah, men. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, the godfather. <laughs> um so yeah it, it would be the same fucking thing um but i i'm glad that you're kind of in that ballpark in that mindset because i like when i was watching this i wanted to kind of go at it like in mo- a different kind of lens but i found myself um being like swept into like the, you know, just the love of this film for me. Like I've always really liked this movie. Yeah, me too. I was watching it being like, uh, and then I'm just like, but damn, this is it's good. good. It's, it's good. Fucking it's good. Like, and you can't yeah. help get into it. Yeah. And get the emotional performances are great. Invested. The music's good. Yeah. The yeah. story's amazing. Like it's yeah, maybe it's not the best film ever, but it does so much good in the film. And the message is really nice. Even if we Mm-mm. don't even want to dip our toes into the people who go into the whole like Jesus allegory sort of side of things. You know, because they like view Andy as being like a Christ-like figure coming into the prison and bringing like hope and oh, okay, recreating the prison, bringing like you know literacy like and blah 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 yeah, and all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff. But it's like, I mean, but like, who cares? Who like literally? Who cares? It doesn't hammer it home anyway. Mm. And like, you know, I think people are always yeah. <laughs> I think like people are always trying to look for some reason to like kind of go into. I don't know. And also, even if it is, who cares? You know, mm. like if we go, even if we want to like think of it that way, 
everything that Andy does and everything that like even Christ, like they say did and taught mm. and believed in his message and all that shit is all very positive stuff. I think yeah. a lot of the stuff that like taints like religion and Christianity, it's the institution stuff is the, of yeah, yeah, and the people who like yeah. who lose sight of that thought of hope and uh, you know just being kind to others and trying mm. to you know leave the world better than you 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 know found it you know like and that's a rare theme in a fucking prison movie. Yeah, you don't yeah, get yeah, yeah. you don't you never get sh- that's not really what's about. I mean, there's always like people trying to break out, but like this is such yes. an earnest portrayal of those themes and feelings without um, shying away from the darker aspect of it. I mean, it mm. handles everything tastefully, but like everything is there that you would expect. Like people get beat up and abused and die in this movie. Yes. Like it yes, all yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so it's like the quintessential example of the genre i would say and like mm-hmm. one of the few like any genre movies if you want to like pigeonhole things that transcends right it's not just considered the best prison movie because one of the greatest movies ever made and maybe that's yeah and it touches yeah. on a lot of these things yeah i never saw it as a christian allegory but i can see how that works especially at the end with like literally like <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah, Jesus yeah. posed in the rain yeah and the movie works better if you don't know that's coming dude that that is exactly i'm kind of glad you said it because i i was thinking about it because it's I, a reveal I, yeah I less, like i i was gonna bring that up but like i didn't write it in or anything i know i didn't and i know like i've forgotten it and when <laughs> you said it like because you know it's like oh i've seen shawshank a million times but like yeah when you watch it in that way and you actually just sit there and think about like, because th- sometimes when we're watching these films, we like look at it a different way than we normally would if we're mm. just sitting there like trying to have, because you have to have sort of a slight critical mindset of if you're going to like be talking about it the way we do on the podcast. But like, yeah, watching it that way, like again, like seeing it like, wow, this really like, I know it's going to happen, but you don't. No, if you've never seen this film before and you don't know yeah. the story, it would be like a mystery. And that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, is Andy going to fucking kill himself? Like, how does it end, you know? Yeah, because the whole time he he seems like really, yeah, suicidal, especially towards the end. Mm. And there's like moments where Andy looks like extremely tired and exhausted. And you th- like, and he looks he weathered. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, man, like prison must be like really getting to him. But what it is is literally this motherfucker's up all, all night. night digging a hole <laughs> behind his poster whose wall like so like that's actually a really good touch like because i didn't really think about that until i was reading something when i was like prepping this episode and i was just like oh yeah andy's literally just been up all night like yeah you know, 20 19 like, years whatever like he ended almost up being. 20 years and like i was thinking as well like there's stuff beyond the hole so he finished the hole yeah and went through it one night and then saw, mm. okay, this is the fucking sewage pipe and it leads. I have to take it that way and I can break, you know, it's kind of weak. Maybe I can break through with a rock. And it's yeah. like, but then it has to all culminate. Like I have to wait for a stormy night. It's like all these mm. elements have to fucking yeah, come yeah, together yeah, yeah. for it to work. And like, you know, having the change of clothes and like taking down the fucking wooden and the captain on the way out is so yeah. dope, dude. It's like, I forgot about, I completely forgot about the whole like money laundering like subplot. The, in my head, I just remembered shoes. it. I was, I was just like, oh yeah, doesn't he like become an accountant for them or something? Like that's yeah. all I remembered about that. And I forgot how 
significant that and obviously that's part of how he can get out you know and like yeah yeah, yeah. Know, and fund his get, escape exactly and fund his never-ending summer vacation <laughs> <laughs> there's so many jokes in this that have been not tainted but like just remind me of family guy i don't know if they did a whole episode that was a parody or if it was just they did several sequences that were things that were referenced to shawshank and i remember them doing that bit where it's, yeah, it's Morgan Freeman's character finds the note and he's like, you remember the name of the town? And I think it's Peter going, ah, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he doesn't write it down. And then, yeah. uh, and then there's another joke, you know, it's like, and it, it does ruin the scene. He's like, oh, how can you be so obtuse? And then in the cut, in Family Guy, he's like this, like he's at an angle and he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Literally like an obtuse angle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny. Oh, that good. scene's great but too. Now am I being up to fuck yeah, that yeah, wooden, that yeah. piece of shit wooden. And soon they like introduce the young dude who like, yeah. you know, had been with the other, you know, he had the story. At the yeah. Other yeah. Job. Tommy. Yeah. Oh man, that shit's so heartbreaking with the fucking yeah. high school diploma. I just, I was like, fuck this dude. This dude deserves <laughs> to like die in the worst ugly way possible. Yeah. It's like all these things. I don't even know why it works. Like, because you've mentioned a couple of things that I think some people don't like about this movie. Uh, Cause it has cheesy elements. For instance, the rock, and, the, the, the rock, the rock in the thunderstorm thing. It's just so it's kind of cartoonish in a way. Oh yeah. And um, family guy, it's uh, the friend theme. That's how they do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's, like the warden is watching friend and he's waiting for the, in the opening yeah. theme that. <laughs> <laughs> funny man that's funny but then but then like there's also the warden himself which is like man there's so many movies where like it just for some reason wouldn't work but i don't know why i just like i really like this uh we're gonna get a few the shitty warden have you seen i i kind of want to ask this without revealing what the last movie we're gonna do the i haven't seen them. i haven't seen it. not seen it no. like dude the parallels are insane like I'm just going to go ahead and say you've seen that movie before. Okay. And that's it. And okay. that's it. That's a, that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but no, I love Shawshank. I think it's it's a blast. It's a blast of a movie like cuz I don't know, man. It's just like it feels it feels like comfortable. It's like a comfortable mm-hmm. putting on a comfortable sweater or something, you know, like Yeah. You know, you just feel nice watching it and the music's great and the performances are good and the story's a like just yeah it's just the like i don't know it's a it's timeless like you said it's just good man i don't know like i i don't want to get swept up in that whole like i don't know people like like the smell of their own farts a little too much on the internet sometimes like getting yeah, upset not, about it it's like yeah. dude who cares man fucking who cares i'm so over people's and this is something that was like this is nothing new i kind of remember like when Shawshank originally became like the number one film and people flipping their shit. And the, the mm. fact that it's like 15 years later and you could still find like people, you know, going on diatribes on Reddit or Quora or some shit, like asking like what other people think. And it's like, who cares, man? Like, yeah. does it matter? Does it fucking matter? It doesn't. It like, doesn't. yeah. Like IMDb does not dictate your life just the way like Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all this sort of shit doesn't dictate your life. You can just like, I don't know, man, I'm like throwing my own shit out there because <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm on holiday and I'm just not going to look at any of that shit for two weeks. And I'm You're really free. excited about that. You could wear in prison. 
Yeah. Not yeah, holiday. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a prison, not holiday. Yeah. I got to keep telling this myself it's guy, holiday, though, because I feel better about vacation. it. You know, I yeah. feel better about myself, you know. Mm, All right. Well, Phil, it was in the late 1980s that uh, Frank Darabont found himself in what he called a rut of horror movie after horror movie. <laughs> and in my opinion, I'm like, dude, that's a dream, dude. Like, you know, I, I want to be in a horror <laughs> keep it going. movie rut. Yeah. Come on, come on. Let's, let's give me some more roles, you know. <laughs> I got cast in one film. I'm going to keep making them. You guys, you know, if you, you if you want to make horror films, you know, you need a big bastard. I'm your guy. Come on, <laughs> sh- you know, hit me up. Uh, but yeah, as well as directing the TV movie called Buried Alive, he uh, had also written The Fly 2. He wrote The Blob remake. And he oh, also shit. wrote, and I had no idea he wrote this, uh, The Incredible a Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, which nice. That's one of the some good people ones. like, some people say it's better than the OG, and that's like crazy because the OG, in my opinion, is like fucking a masterpiece horror film. Yeah, amazing. but Dream Warriors is fucking amazing. Dream Warriors it's is a, fucking good. Yeah, it's an easy number two if it's not better than the original. Yeah. Um, however, if we go even further back to 1984, Frank Darabont's first project was writing and directing a short film called "The Woman in the Room," which is based on a Stephen King short story. So this is something I'm, I was only just learning literally like when I was prepping this episode and it probably accounts for why there's so many Stephen King adaptations like, you know, cause you hear about people making short films and stuff as well a lot, but he operates on what's called the dollar baby or the dollar deal. Have you ever heard of this? No. So basically when Stephen King started making a name for himself and he was making more money and shit, like in, in, um, in writing, and all that, and he broke through, and you, you know, it was a big bestseller. He started to grant permission to students and aspiring filmmakers or theater pr- producers to adapt his short stories if they wanted to for one dollar. Okay. And his whole deal was like, you know, because he he didn't want to get into a whole like thing with like legal issues and all this stuff with like his, you know, he wanted to help out, like you know, to give back to the next generation of creatives. So it was a way for him to like, you know allow them to use their stories, but it wouldn't be all this weird legal stuff like, a you know, like, because his like agent or whatever was sort of like, I don't know if we could do this. So he was like, all right, well, if they pay me, I retain the rights to my stories. Uh, and they just give me a copy of like, you know, apparently he has like a shelf where he just pops, you know, he'll watch them and then he pop them on a shelf that's called the dollar baby shelf or whatever. <laughs> but like he has like all these like uh, short films and stuff. Um, and it's only his short stories. He he doesn't do his like you know novels that way. But like, it's really cool though, because like there like I even I feel like there was a woman who made this like short film like or sorry a documentary who um, came to the cinema named Julia Marchese, and she was showing her cinema. I can't, sorry her documentary about cinemas and stuff. I can't remember what it was called. Like maybe out of print. And it was about like film on film and stuff like that. And she used to work at the new Bev and she was really nice and stuff. And we showed her documentary and then um, she was making another one while she was in town and she interviewed me and Paul and stuff for it. And uh, she is now like has made like a Stephen King. She's really obsessed with Stephen King, I think. And she's made a short story, like uh, one of his short stories into a short film. So I'm wondering if she's like gotten the dollar baby deal. Which is like cool, like you know, you always wonder how people get away with like you know some of these Stephen King short stories, like you know adaptations, and this makes sense. So that's how, you know, he did it back in the day, Frank Darabont. 
Um, but yeah, he would end up being one of the most successful dollar babies because he went back to the well at least three more times because he would direct, obviously, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, he, he directed The Green Mile, which is another prison classic. And then he did The Mist. Um, and Darabont, I mean, he's it's funny. Like I feel like he would have directed a lot more stuff, but he hasn't really he directed really a hasn't. lot. No. He got two big hitters in the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did adapt uh, The Walking Dead, you know, into the the hit TV show, oh, and he I served as that. the showrunner yeah. for like for the, the first, first season, season. and uh, the, you know until it ended in some surprising lawsuits and stuff. By the time the second season kicked off, but yeah, he like that was like huge. He directed like the you know the pilot episode as well of the The Walking Dead, like you know back when the walking dead was like really good for those first couple seasons. And it was one of the biggest shows on TV as well. Like for a while, it's kind of crazy to think about. Cause that show just like nosedives so far. This is why I can't like start watching it because I yeah. know that everybody who I yeah. know watches it, that, that, that's like, Oh, that's just a lot to get into. Yeah. I mean, I still enjoyed like most of the run, like, cause I read the comics as well. And I kind of knew like, you know, like the stuff that people got mad about and like where people jumped off is like something that happened in the comic and not oh, saying that it didn't need to happen, but like at the same time, it's like, it's like, come on, man, like get over it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, cause it was still good stuff. It's just like, there was like a lot of extra stuff. They had all these extra TV shows and all this sort of shit. And that just got really bad. You know, you know, I don't know. It's I like, mean, they're still doing those lasting shows. a little too long. So like yeah. 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 To it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it was just money. And I think that was part of the thing with like Frank Darabont like quit because I mean, there's like stuff about him possibly being fired as well. But I think he was really like fighting with like working conditions and the amount of money that they were given for budgets and stuff uh, and the amount of money that AMC was earning and not getting like people not getting a fair share. And I think years later, like even Gellan heard who was like one of the big showrunners and stuff as well, or producers of the walking dead, her and even Robert Kirkman who like wrote the story. It was a big bunch of them went and had like basically a big like lawsuit against AMC for, you know, basically just not getting paid what they were <laughs> like, you know what they wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like the advertisement is insane. Like, you know, they made a lot of fucking money. I mean, there was periods of time where the walking dead was like hitting easily 10 million people. Like, for a new episode so it's like that's nuts pay yeah. these people yeah the same with the strike happening just pay these fucking people. yeah yeah seriously seriously man these fucking billionaires fuck them <laughs> anyway it was after writing dream warriors in 1987 that darabont returned to stephen king to purchase the rights to adapt rita hayworth and shawshank redemption which is the 96 page novella from stephen king's 1982 collection called different seasons which he wrote to explore other genres than horror other novellas included in this same collection that were also adapted were Apt Pupil and The Body, which would become Rob Reiner's Stand By Me, which yeah. we did an episode we of. Did, we did that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that all three of these stories were in the same collection. <laughs> That's nuts. That's nuts. I mean, Stephen like, King, like, is he the most, like, I'm not obviously not including someone like Shakespeare or something and yeah. like Dickens, but like modern author, he's like the most he's adapted, be, yeah, yeah. profitable fucking mm. writer in the world. It's insane. So many stories. Like, and yeah. it's, it's funny too, because like a lot of them, 
I mean, I don't know. I can't say like, because I haven't read his stories. Like I have never read a Stephen King book or story. Okay. I've read mainly it. just cause I don't like really read a lot. I'm stupid. Uh, I've read that collection. The one with the body and yeah. Rhea Hayworth on it. I haven't read anything else. I don't think. Like I know people love Stephen King and I know there's like, but I always hear like funny stuff and I want to read. I, I just like, I never have time to and shit like that. And uh, sometimes I like really like want to pick up a Stephen King book and just read it. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of his stories mainly because I really like a lot of the films and stuff and the stories are great, but there's always like really funny stuff you hear. Like basically like the ending of it and stuff is just like really fucking weird. And it's just like, dude, what are you writing about? (laughs) Well, those you don't want to yeah, really like, go into it too much. Why? Why? Why did the kids need to like fuck each other like in order to have like have Super this powers. innocence thing or whatever <laughs> superpowers to kill this fucking like spider monster thing? It's like what? You should do. You should like because like you'll be in the mood like October Halloween. You should just pick one, Shining yeah. It, whatever. The one about the car, Christine. Yeah, Christine. and be like, read it. And then you, that could be like a tradition. Like every yeah. Halloween, I read a fucking Stephen King book. I don't even like him. Yeah, maybe that's a good good idea. I don't know. I mean, people love like the Watchtower stuff and all that, you know. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. I forget. The, the, like, I've, not, the, I've not read any of that. Yeah, there were loads of those. But they've adapted that shit as well. Even, I don't know. And it's do funny because well. yeah. some, are, some are like good, some are bad. Some, it, like, yeah, some are trash because they're like made for TV. Yeah, but yeah, some yeah. of those I fucking love, or like they're the 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 lower, like the less talked about. Well, like stuff. the TV, like, man, I love thinner, it. dude. Th- thinner. So oh, you've good. talked about thinner before, yeah. Thinner so good. Never seen that. It's so weird. But like it's the so t- fucking weird. But like the TV movie, it iconic, like long. Before, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Before the before fucking the new shit, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't seen the new one, but like, um, but even that, like, as an influence on culture, like that fucking Stranger Things as well. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. People yeah. still digging the Stephen King thing. Doctor Sleep, they just made a fucking Shining sequel. Yeah, yeah. Never. I've not seen that, but apparently that was good. The first It movie, It Chapter One or whatever. I think I said this on the podcast before. I I like sat down and watched them because I was curious and I had like I don't know, it was free time. And like I actually kind of liked the first one, and I was like surprised. I was like, actually, this is not too bad. You know, mm-hmm. you get over this sort of Stranger Things vibes of it, but like you know, it's like it's not too bad. And then I watched the second one. I was like, this is horrible. It's so bad. It's so, <laughs> what like, happened? it's so different. It's like, wow, holy shit. Like the vibes are so different. Mm-hmm. Anyway, basically when uh, Darabont went to Stephen King to tell him he wanted to adapt uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, like Stephen King didn't really understand how like he could do it because it's like <laughs> largely focused on red contemplating his like fellow prisoner, Andy. Yeah. And it's like, a, you know, a lot of that's like just told through narration and stuff. And, you know, it's like uh, I'm going to find a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just, he was like, how could this be a feature film? But Darabont believed it was obvious. So he accepted a King, Stephen King accepted a $5,000 check from Darabont, but apparently he never cashed it. And later oh. he framed it and returned it to Frank Darabont with a note that read, in case you ever need bell money, love <laughs> <Steve>. <laughs> it's really sweet. Then that shit to us. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. I can use, we need bell money. We need bell money. I can use We're innocent. Our money. lawyers fucked us. <laughs> Don't you know everybody in here is innocent? It, another motherfucker tells me that. I swear <laughs> I'm going to shank him. <laughs> I'm um, shank him. <laughs> now I know why they call it Shawshank. 
<laughs> but yeah, Frank Darabont wouldn't work on the script for another five years down the road. And um, when he finally did work on it, he basically did it in an eight-week period. He expanded on elements of King's story. Brooks, who is in the novella, like in the novella, is a minor character uh, who dies in a retirement home, actually becomes the tragic character, which you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. who eventually hangs himself. Yeah. Tommy, who in the the novella trades his evidence, exonerating Andy for a transfer to a ni- nicer prison. And the screenplay is murdered on the orders of Warden Norton, mm. who is uh, a composite of several Warden characters in Stephen King's story. Yeah, uh, Frank Darabont opted to create a single Warden to serve as the primary antagonist in the story, which I think is it works. You know, it works I think much better. All yeah. the stuff that he did, I've read a little bit about like some differences and stuff. And I think it really does work that way. I mean, if you have like one single warden, it sort of just drives the story. Like, I don't know. Like it's that, it's that, that thing. There's elements to this film where I feel like certain characters don't age the same way other characters do. And I think it works so well that way. Cause it does feel sort of dreamy sometimes. Like even if you go into that weird, you know, Jesus allegory thing. And you start thinking about Zewataneo and all that sort of stuff. Like his people think all oh, that's like, an, you know, that's an allegory for heaven and stuff. Yeah. You know? The Holy land. Yeah. So when you think about like, you know, I mean, God damn it. God tier like actor. It's so funny. Cause I feel like he played, uh, did he not like play Herman monster and some new, um, a newer monsters thing like in the nineties, but Clancy Brown, He's so similar. Oh, did looking. he play Herman Munster? I mean, he got the fucking jaw for it. Yeah. Yeah. He's so similar to, uh, and plus it's even like a weird crossover. Cause I always talk about, uh, what's his name? Um, from last, uh, from Vinny, um, who played the original Herman monster. God damn. His Fred, name's like Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Uh, Fred Gwynn was in pet cemetery. The first one. Yes, and then Clancy yeah. Brown is in the second one. So it like, it's, it's perfect. Perfect. But anyway, Clancy Brown, in this film. Great. Great. It's amazing. I love yeah. Clancy Brown. He's so good. He's such a fucking prick and he plays He's it so well. But he never ages. And it's also sort of he that doesn't. thing of yeah. like, why does, like, why do these, you know, I feel like it works a little bit better than the next film because they do age and stuff when we get to next week's film. Significantly. Yeah. But <laughs> the, um, like, people like, you know, Clancy Brown, why it, I don't know. Why is he there his entire life? Like no one leaves. No one gets a new job. No one gets a promotion. <laughs> yeah. And that would be a you natural know? part of it. That's the difference yeah. between again, like this and the next one where then that's part of it that people leave, people yeah. come, come and go, things change. Yeah. This one, it's very, it's like the life. Of, I think that helps reflect the journey of the prisoners as well. And like informed mm-hmm. it there feeling of like entrapment and isolation, like they're stuck in their place and these walls are defining them. And even the faith that they see every day don't change. Like, yeah. There's no rejuvenation in it. Like these guards are like career guards. They're like staying there. And, you know, all these people are in there for life. They've fucking committed murder or something. So they're yeah. not, nobody's going unless they're fucking old. But then that works in its favor because you 
endear yourself to the group. You get to know that group quite well. And you yeah. love, like, I love fucking Bill Sadler, like Haywood in it. Dude, like. And he starts off, you should fucking hate him, but you grow to like him just because he's like that lovable idiot sort of thing. Yeah. I've seen this film 10 million times, right? Yeah. And I know Hay- Haywood's character, like, like to a T. I, I think one of the coolest things about him is his obsession with wanting to listen to Hank Williams. And then like, oh, yeah. later, he gets to listen to Hank Williams. Yeah. And it's like one of the few actual songs in the film. That's and true. Like, yeah, yeah. I love that song and it's great. And it's just like him singing along to it. It's really funny. I didn't know until this time that that was William Sadler. How did you not know that was William Sadler? Because he doesn't look like him. Yeah, he, he doesn't like, look like him in what? De- in at death in Bill and Ted or the bad guy in Die Hard 2. We've, yeah, yeah. It's like his hair, everything about it, the accent. He got that little, that everything cool little about like, it. stutter he did. Yeah. That's really he, nice. He really became someone completely yeah, yeah, different, different, which in my head is just this guy. I don't know. Don't it's you one know of the things. Actor, dude. I don't, I that guess I never really like looked because, you know, the, the upper echelon characters in this film, like, you know, Morgan Freeman, mm. Tim Robbins, Clancy Brown, Bob Gunton, those are the people you really like think about. And then you have these like sort of side characters that of course like have big parts in the story, like Haywood yeah. and like you Bugs know, um, and Tommy Brooks. and like yeah. Boggs and Brooks. Yeah. yeah. But like you don't really think about them like who's playing them sometimes. Like yeah, yeah, and you kind of get lost in it sometimes. Yeah. They are just that character. Yeah, dude. I don't know why. But like when I it, I think it was like I, I saw his name in the credits and then it clicked. I was like, oh yeah, like He's hey what like I don't know why it just kind of twisted my so brain good, a little bit. It was like so fuck, good. dude. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, Frank Darabont listed Frank Capra's "Mr. Smith Goes to Washington" and "It's a Wonderful Life" as inspiration. This had it's a wonderful life vibe for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls them tall tales, and he likens Shawshank to a tall tale more than a prison movie, which adds a lot to that whole like you know, it's dreamy, a legend. It feels legendary, mythic, dreamy. Yeah, static. Yeah, static, definitely. Yeah, which and, I think works so well. He also listed Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas as the inspiration for the use of dialogue to illustrate the passage of time in a script, which you were kind of talking about it flows really nicely with time and stuff. Yeah, um, and. When he was finished with the script, it got into the hands of then Castle Rock Entertainment producer Liz Glotzer, who threatened to quit if Castle Rock didn't produce the film. <laughs> and this is where uh, director and Castle Rock co-founder Rob Reiner got a look at the script, and he loved it. Obviously, we just mentioned that Rob Reiner directed Stand By Me, mm-hmm. so he is you know he's all too familiar with Stephen King's work, and also all too familiar with different seasons because he adapted something from that same book as well. And he offered Darabont somewhere between 2.4 and $3 million so that he could direct it himself. And, you know, he was interested in casting Tom Cruise as Andy and Harrison Ford as red. (laughs) I mean, no on the Tom Cruise. Harrison Ford, I see it. And especially if you're thinking from the book, yeah, he's white and he's, Actually, he's like redheaded, and I, that's yeah. where the name comes from. Yeah. It's and an there's a joke that, yeah, there's like a reference to that in the movie, which is nice. That shows you how good Morgan Freeman is. Like, he's perfect for that role. Yeah. Like, nobody yeah, yeah. else could really play him. Absolutely. Castle Rock offered to finance any other film Darabont wanted to develop. Darabont considered the offer, citing growing up poor in Los Angeles, believing it would have it would elevate his standing in the industry, and that Castle Rock could have contractually fired him and given it 
to Reiner anyway, but yeah. he chose to remain as the director, saying in Variety in 2014, you can continue to defer your dreams in exchange for money and, you know, die without ever having done the thing you set out to do. <laughs> <laughs> you get busy living or you get busy dying. Absolutely. So he refused Reiner's offer, stating this was my chance to do something really great. Reiner would serve as a mentor to Darabont, and within two weeks of showing the script off to Castle Rock producers, he got $25 million for the budget to make the film, and he took about $750,000 screenwriting and directing salary, plus a percentage of net profits. Tim Robbins obviously plays Andy Dufresne. In my opinion, this is like a career-defining role for Tim Robbins. I mean, yeah. he has numerous great movies. Of course. The player, Jacob Ladder, and yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's only really, like in my mind, really only stood out in like a few films, like, you know, where it's like, holy shit, like this is great Tim Robbins films. Obviously, there is Shawshank Redemption. But then yeah. there's like the Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball Ball special. Ball Durham. Yeah. The Coen Brothers classic, The Hudsucker Proxy. I haven't seen that one, but yeah. Clint Eastwood's Mystic River, which he won an Oscar for. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And Howard the Duck. Failed I'm, the, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Man, my dude is pretty fucking perfect. I don't know. It's something funny about it, but he's pretty fucking perfect in high fidelity. Like I feel I like there's say, never been a more perfect Tim Robbins role where he's just say, wormy enough. He stands so out good. to me. The the Tim Robbins movie roles I like are weird, slimy, funny side character. Yeah. So like high fidelity and like pick of destiny. You know, like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like he's yeah, so it's a very funny similar character. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, oh I fucking love him in high fidelity. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Uh, what's his name? Like Ian? Fucking Ian. Ian. What Ian guy? <laughs> so good. Like I felt like a, like that film's so fucking good too because like it's just like a lot of it's just in John Cusack's head. Like a, it just gets so more like perverse and weird worth, in his yeah. own stupid head. Dude, that film's great. Like, oh man, I love High Fidelity. Yeah. Uh, Go on and on. Before Tim Robbins got the part, Frank Darabont looked initially at some of his favorite actors, such as Gene Hackman and Robert Duvall. For the role of Andy Dufresne, if you wanted to go old man role. Uh, but they were unavailable. Clint Eastwood and Paul Newman were also considered. Uh, we'll get back to Clint Eastwood. Other names considered were Jeff Bridges, Kevin Costner, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> That'd be weird. God damn. Johnny Depp, Charlie Sheen, and Nicolas Cage. Uh, Costner turned down the role to do Waterworld. All over the place. Yeah, it oh, really yeah. is. He I think it's just kind of like any name at the time. There's just a, there's like a quality, and I don't know if it's on the page, but that I like that Tim Robbins brings like a quiet yes. depth to this his is, performance. That I can't this is see. like the only other person I could see right here. Jeff Bridges maybe could have done it because he's really good. Jeff Bridges is not Bridges bad. Is good. Yeah, yeah. That's but here's bad. someone else I feel like who could have done it, and he was all for the role. Tom Hanks. I feel like he brings that everyman quality that he could have easily pulled this off and it would have been pretty damn good, but he turned it down due to scheduling conflicts with Forrest Gump. So I want to see Tom Hanks go make Forrest, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Forrest Gump. I don't, I just don't want to see Tom Hanks in, in prison. 
in print. I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, <laughs> he's too nice. <laughs> he's too nice to be like jumped by a bunch of guys. You know, like yeah. it just for some reason it doesn't work in my head. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I feel like, I just think it's that Tom Hanks has that, like, I don't know, likable everyman quality. And if you're going for the Jimmy Stewart thing, that's yes. your guy, right? I mean, he's your modern day Jimmy Stewart, right? Yeah, maybe. I think oh. it's just because Tom Hanks always avoided, like, um, like he obviously like never really played. He had more recently, like, yeah. villainous characters. But, like, it's just in terms of, like, darker material. Mm. Like he, dude. That's another fucking thing that like uh, this film does really well is because you're we were talking already about how uh, it's a bit of a mystery to the point of like Andy's you know escape and everything. Mm -hmm. Like you don't even know until the very fucking end. You think Andy's going to kill himself, but what you also don't really know is if Andy actually fucking did it, killed his wife and her lover, because like he says. But there's all the like fucking conversation. Oh, the doubt you don't take you know, the whole there, story with the kids that like that proof that this other guy did it. Oh no, no. What I was saying, you don't know until that point. I, oh I yeah, wasn't oh, being that's true. I wasn't being very clear. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, like, you're, until you're following Tommy him. shows up, like there is doubt that he there is like, doubt. Yeah, he there with the gun and everything. Easily done it, you know. Like I love that line where he's like, "That seems very convenient, Mister Dufresne." He's like, "Well, no, it's incredibly inconvenient that they didn't find the gun <laughs> because I'm innocent." Yeah, I love. It's that. also that, that thing because like Andy walks around like you know because there's the whole joke about or you know when the fresh meat are coming and they're taking bets and stuff and he's yeah. like, you know, I'll, I'll take the one that looks like he's got the silver spoon shoved yeah, up his ass. Yeah, the tall drink of water. Yeah, and he like he like walks around like and even read comments on it like how like he doesn't have a care in the world like he's not there and stuff and mm, in some ways that detached. can be a bad thing and sometimes that can be a good thing you know but yeah no it's uh you you kind of like you get that sort of sense like oh man there's like there's if you obviously don't know the story which i do but like if you're watching in that sort of lens man you're like man he could have done it you don't know didn't have a show it, yeah and that's that's funny again. Sorry, like I should really bring up this week and next week. This one is like full of people claiming to be innocent, and then the next week it's them like bragging about their it's crimes. Opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite. They're all guilty. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just funny. And I I love Freeman is the only one who like cops to his crime. Yeah. The only guilty man is Shawshank. Yeah. I love that. Um, Tom Cruise apparently attended table reads but he declined to work with an inexperienced director like Darabont. And then the next name on Darabont's list was Tim Robbins. Who he It's like, seen. Hey, I wrote Nightmare on Elm Street three. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he had seen uh, Tim Robbins and Jacob's ladder. So he was like Jacob keen Robinson on him. So to prepare for the role, Tim Robbins actually observed caged animals in, at a zoo. He spent an afternoon in solitary confinement at a prison and he spoke with prisoners and guards and he had his arms and legs shackled for a few hours. So he was getting the experience of being in prison and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Tim Robbins was cast, he insisted that Frank Darabont use the experienced cinematographer, Roger Deakins, who he had worked with on the Hudsucker proxy because Deakins worked Good. with Fucking the Coens yeah. all the time. So yeah, no, you know, I, it's funny, like bringing up the inexperienced Darabont thing, but yeah, he was, this was like his first like yeah. feature film. Because he was, he had done um, that 
TV movie, but like, you know, that's TV is kind of a different mm. ballpark and stuff, you know, but this was like, it's huge, a lot of trust, huge yeah. budget, a big story, a big cast. Um, although again, I don't know. Tim Robbins was a pretty big name at this point, but like early days, Morgan Freeman being a big name. Yeah. Like not the biggest elevated so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Morgan Freeman plays Ellis Boyd, red Redding. Uh, which I think is, I guess, good because they, I don't think he, he's just called Red in the book, but like giving him the name Redding actually kind of plays it up. And then that joke is kind of funny as well. Um, but yeah, Liz Glotzer, she, she's the one who cast Morgan Freeman basically at the suggest, like she suggested him because, um, she like wanted to ignore the whole thing about it being a white Irishman. And she was just like, you know, he's, fucking great and that's where that whole joke kind of came from but before they went in that direction clint eastwood again harrison ford paul newman and robert redford were all considered uh i guess because they you know all white irish guys and uh sydney poitier actually was also considered and he turned down because he thought playing a black man incarcerated for murder didn't do a lot to further the image of the black man in hollywood so fair enough (laughs) sydney poitier is the coolest yeah and he had, he directed one of the finest Britain movies ever made, I would say. Yeah, 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 definitely. Charlie Sheen was apparently also really desperate to be in this film. So I already said, like, he was... He could he, have played that young kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. easily in this, at this point in time. Uh, yeah, so he was, like, you know, he was being considered at least maybe for Andy or at least his name. I know, like, no, around. we want Emilio. <laughs> yeah. We'll get your brother. Emilio is, Emilio, is Emilio available? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, you, apparently he was desperate. He was desperate. And he like said to Castle Rock, I'll fucking do it for scale. And then he even offered to do a 30 minute showcase of himself as red. But Darepont said, absolutely no chance. No as chance. He that guy, you are not red. He's just like, yeah, I mean, I, I think the movie would fall on its face. Yeah, he was like, dude, I I need Morgan Freeman. Like, Morgan Freeman makes the movie. Like, even like, yeah, like you saying the whole like the mythic sort of aspect, dream like aspect to it. Mm. It's so hindered on the narration and you know, red sort of um telling of these events, but like that voice yeah. goes so far in selling that. Like yeah. it, it's just, I mean, yeah, it, it's butter, you know, like it's, it's, it's what perfect. really pushed his career forward anyway, because I mean, if he hadn't done this, you definitely wouldn't have had him in Bruce Almighty, which we name dropped in the last episode yeah, as yeah. well anyway. But like, you know, he wouldn't have been the God. voice of God. Yeah. And I feel like he's played, he wouldn't have has done he played God like a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Like March of the Penguins. Yeah. He, he got a lot of narration <laughs> roles after. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm glad you brought up Seven because I was just about to get into something really funny. Um, so Morgan Freeman, when they asked him how he prepared for the role, he joked that he read the script. And yeah, nice. he, he was just like, I opted not to do any research saying that acting the part of someone who's incarcerated doesn't require any specific knowledge of someone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, incarceration because like, you know, men don't change once you're in that situation. You just tow whatever line you have to tow. Very good. Very smart. <laughs> Very smart, dude. I, I, man, you, the internet, again, this is what I'm talking about when you like looking up stuff and you get kind of like, 
like I started to try to like look into why people don't like this film. And mm. someone was just like, I just don't find it believable that there would be such a like well-spoken, like, you know, black. Oh. Man I was just like, dude, that's racist. <laughs> that, dude. Right there. But the, good thing, just, the good thing was that like there was piles of comments and it was like on Reddit or whatever. And everybody was just like, yeah, I think you're just racist, dude. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I was like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's not like God. a you problem. That's not a movie problem. <laughs> It's like, fuck off, man. <laughs> he's like, he's been in prison since he was like basically a teenager. And it's like, so like, you know, so what? to say he didn't read like before he was in prison and he didn't like, he didn't speak very well and all that. People just do fucking shit sometimes and get like caught up in stuff. Oh, uh, man. Uh, Morgan Freeman, basically, though, I was saying something funny. When we're talking about seven. I'll bring it up later. Morgan Freeman didn't have a good time making this film. Oh, really? Largely due to the obscene amount of takes that Frank Darabont would insist on. Oh, it's like a fucking Fincher. Yeah, that's why it's funny that he would literally the next year go make seven. So I bet first day he was like, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Yeah. These fucking kids I have to work with. One day we'll have to do a seven episode. I know we've talked about it before. I think we'll yeah. have to do it sometime um, because I think it was like, you know, like it will be interesting to see how Morgan Freeman like felt about making that film. But like mm. filming regularly required up to 18 hour work days for this film, six days a week. And Morgan Freeman described filming as tense, saying most of the time the tension was between the cast and the director. I remember having a bad moment with the director. We had a few of those. Not everybody said that. Like, it was just like a lot of this was Morgan Freeman. Like, apparently Tim Robbins had a great time filming the film. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Andy in Red's opening chat in the prison yard where basically Red, like he had, he had, Andy asked Red if he can get him the rock hammer. Yeah, I hear you a man uh, good thing. <laughs> yeah, like that took nine hours to shoot. How? And mind you, Red is pitching a baseball to a fellow inmate the entire fucking time he's doing this. <laughs> so Morgan Freeman showed up to the the set the next day with his arm in a sling. And after a while, I think he just simply refused to do additional takes if he thought like it's No, we got it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was just due to the fact that it was like, it wasn't very different. Like, you know, Mm. Frank Darabont said that he learned that like, I can't remember the exact quote because I don't think I wrote it down, but he was like, he learned that like you, because uh, he was new to it, but he learned that like you really start to learn and see what you can get out of your actors through doing the multiple takes and stuff. But like Morgan Freeman saw it, it was like the takes weren't very much different. And it was yeah, like, yeah. I felt like maybe there wasn't the direction. Like, I, I don't know. There, There's certain directors like you do it for different reasons, right? Like Kubrick yeah, would do it. Kubrick would like, do it. Like do it, but to like break down the actor to mm-hmm. the point where it's like, at that point, it's a lack of trust, right? Where it's like, yeah. I don't believe, I don't trust you to get this performance. Now I'm going to make it fucking real. Yeah. I'm going to get you to that place, like legit hysterical place and capture that. And then there's others who are like, yeah, I think Fincher is kind of not that extreme, but like he wants to get to the point where like they're no longer, you know, reciting words because they've done it so many times, it's coming out so naturally. Yeah. And he, and he it. has a very specific yeah. rhythm to his film. They're very quick and fast paced. Um, and I guess others just want like lots of different options and like 
like cutting them together in the movie, like having yeah. So yeah, I did the different reasons for it. I didn't see a lot about like you know uh, Darabont's you know reasoning for doing it. Mm. So I don't really know. And he's not like he's not like a Kubrick. So it's not like you don't really have no, like. Yeah people writing fucking books about why Kubrick did like a million takes and, and Fincher like yeah, comes yeah. kind of like a funny, you know, person as well. But it is really funny that like the next film, like one of the, or one of the next films, I think he did a couple in 95, but like one of the next films that he would go on to do would be seven. And you're <laughs> with someone who's very notorious for doing multiple takes. <laughs> it's probably just like, fuck, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't just Freeman who had beef with Darabont. It was also uh, cinematographer Roger Deakins who found himself in many battles with the director. Darabont favored more scenic shots, while Deakins felt that not showing the outside of the prison added a sense of claustrophobia. And it mm. meant that you, you know, that a wide scenic shot was used that had more impact. So it was like, you know, he wanted to like keep a lot of it tight inside of that yeah. prison and stuff. I kind of like the of glory shots of like when the camera like goes over the yard and like yeah goes like sees all the faces of the the prisoners but i see what he means yeah and you're also like i don't know i i think again we're also like it's almost like 30 years removed yeah, yeah and yeah. in my head i'm just like dude listen to deacons like <laughs> always listen to Deacon. Listen to fucking Deacon. Because he's thinking big picture as well. That moment yeah. when we escape yeah. is so much better if you've been trapped for so long. Yeah. You know, like and like visually trapped. And then when you suddenly would open up to the big like yeah, big scenic shot of him and running through the water, I think that would be even more yeah, impactful in that thing. Maybe yeah. that's what you were going for. I, I Wrote this down. I thought it was really funny. Um, the most iconic shot, obviously, in the Shawshank Redemption. You've already you've already spoke on it, but you know it's it's probably the most iconic one is Andy's escape. You know him mm -hmm. just with his arms out. You know, very religious looking. Anyway, in the rain, it's a great. But shot. he he, you know, he crawled through five hundred yards of shit smelling foulness, according to Red, and he falls into that river of just muck. And, and he uh, came out clean on the other side. <laughs> and he's standing in the, you know, he's got that fucking arms raised in the and rain. And the lightning flashing. Yeah, you got the crane shot and everything. Very famous shot. But Roger Deakins doesn't like it. He said, it's one of those shots that I hate. I hate it because I overlit it. Oh, <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. It's so it funny. Great. I just thought that was funny. It's, it's like, one of the most oh, iconic yeah. shots in cinema. He's like, fucking hate it. Yeah, fucking hate it. <laughs> Bullshit. Uh, yeah, Freeman did actually enjoy his work on the film, though, like his output saying that the final parole board hearing speech that he gives, because it's something you go to a couple of times in the film where he goes. It's the perfect like rule of three. Yeah. yeah. And the third time it hit. Although it's a great monologue. It's a great theme. Mm. Would you approve that guy? After yeah, that, that's though? like, yeah, it's so funny. It, it's like, you know, is that He's what like, you want to hear? You. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a shit. They're like... Yeah, this guy's yeah, denied. Seems like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, uh, he, it's it's funny though because like he, yeah, he says that some of his best bit of acting. Um, but yeah, it's also interesting too. Um, so yeah, on the parole forms in those scenes, you see a, a picture of a young Red and how he looked like when he was first locked up. So he's a young man, 
and that is his son, Alfonso Freeman. Really? Yeah. And they looked a lot like him. He also like had a cameo in the film. So when Andy first arrives, there's one of the inmates shout, shouting, fresh fish, fresh fish. That's Alfonso Freeman. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's really sweet. All right. Bob Gunton plays uh, Warden Samuel Norton. Perfect. Hateable so, fucking face. I fucking hate the warden so much. He was filming Demolition Man in 93 and he went back to, to audition. Back to yeah. <laughs> he went to audition for the part of Warden Norton to convince the studio that Gunton was right for the part. Darabont and producer Nikki Marvin arranged for him to record a screen test that day. Uh, and it was like a day off of a, on a day that he had a day off of Demolition Man. They had a wig made for him because, you know, in Demolition Man, he shaved his head for the role. Oh, yeah. And uh, Gunton wanted to portray Norton with hair so that, like, you know, over time. It would change. He'd show, take it shorter. And yeah, it gets shorter like and gray. like grays a little bit to convey the on-screen aging and, you know, as the film progressed. And uh, Gunton performed his screen test with Tim Robbins. Which was filmed by Roger Deakins. I guess man, Tim Robbins must have just been friends with Deakins. Yeah. Uh, and then after being confirmed for the role, he used the wig in the film's early, you know, scenes until his hair like regrew and stuff. Wow. But like Gunton said that Marvin and Darabont saw that he understood the character, which went in his favor, as well as the fact that his height was similar to Tim Robbins allowing Andy to believably use the warden's suit when he like so funny. out, which is really funny. But, um, huh? That, that. Hey guys, it's been a long time since I've been on the podcast. I thought what I'd just, uh, I you know, drop fuck? in here. You know, I just wanted to tell you guys, uh, something that I think is a little bit more interesting for your podcast episode. Uh, it's, Long rumored that I actually, and I, I'm just going to confirm it here, was up for the role of uh, Byron Hadley, the prison guard. Because I doubt that. Sir. No, it's true. Because you know when Bob Bob went and did, you know, because he was on Demolition Man. I was in Demolition Man. Yeah, we were we bloods. We, we were pals. And yeah, yeah. and when Bob did his we're screen test. How Bob did, did his screen test. I actually stood in for the Byron Hadley role and played the prison guard. And oh. I was going to be in the film. But the thing uh, is, it was like Hulk Hogan was politicking, you know, uh, and they, yeah. they pulled my sad card and stuff for a bit. So, you know, I couldn't do it. Classic Hogan. It's crazy. Barry you know, I, friend. I was, I was going to do it. It was going to be a great job, a great gig for me, but it was okay in the end because, you know, someone else, reached out to me who also was going to be in this film and he happened to be hanging outside, you know, the studios trying to get a gig. It was Charlie Sheen. And he, uh, he went back and he did major league two, which he was like, you know, Hey Jesse, don't worry. I love you. And WWF, don't worry. I'm going to give you a gig. And he got me a gig playing myself. Oh, nice. In major yeah. league two. So it's okay, guys. In 94, I didn't hurt. I actually got a paycheck. I was in a movie. So we're all good. You were in one movie. But there's no more politic in here from Hulk Hogan. You know, Demolition Man can't pay my bills forever. You know, (laughs) brother, I tell you, I'm going to have to be, you know, back in the main event. You know, that's why I'm not a politician, Phil. You know? (laughs) You're not. I'm a statesman. You've always considered yourself a statesman. 
announcement. I'm going to get back to the campaign trail. I might run for 2024. I don't know. Got to stop Donald Trump somehow. We got it. We got to stop him. How did, how was the first Ventura in jail with Jesse the Bunny Ventura? I don't fucking know. I haven't seen that guy in a long time. He just came in. He just walked into the cell. Like it wasn't even, usually they like take you to a thing and it's like a phone. Yeah. Do you think he worked here? He might, dude. He, he actually was has the prison guard out. Yeah, he. It was the same one he wore in uh, for the screen test in in Batman and Robin. So, oh yeah. So yeah. Do you think he just liked doing it? And he just kept yeah, doing it. I think so. Hoping somebody else just, would cast him. I mean, you know, it was like wrestlers back in the day weren't really smart with their money and stuff, and he was living the gimmick, sort of like Ric Flair he and stuff. The, so yeah. I love, I love the idea that Charlie Sheen was like <laughs> was so desperate. And he's literally outside, outside the, studio, the studio, like picketing, like banging on the door. It's like, let me be red. I need money for cocaine. <laughs> Don't worry, Jesse, I got you. Yeah. He's like, he, he was so desperate not to be in Major League Two that he was trying so hard to get this film so he didn't have to do Major League Two. He was like, oh, all right. Enough need- with the baseball movie, <laughs> goddammit. I need cocaine more than I need to not be in Major League Two. Then so. my pride. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Clancy Brown ended up getting that role anyway. I mean, you know, Brilliant. he, he would have, I mean, Jesse Ventura. Yeah. It would have been interesting, but, uh, he wasn't up for this role at all. I don't know where in the fuck he was talking about. He reminded me and very different, not in like a, he's doing the same thing. And it's funny cause this guy in next week's film, mm-hmm. the, I forget his name now. Um, but the like drill sergeant in a full metal jacket. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In um, that, like he fucking don't remember his name. Sorry, Arlie Emery. Thank you. He got a great name as well. Um, but in that, he's like terrifying. What's the funny? Like, yeah, he's, yeah. Like his fucking quote the great. Like, just like if I even hear a mouth fine here, you know, like it. <laughs> yeah. Just great, great line. The film I'm getting you to watch for the third week of this. Yeah. Had a similar captain who's amazing. And he, yeah. it, it's similar with like just the lines he comes out with are so gross, but they're so funny. Um, <laughs> Beef, great. I mean, just the, the open, I can't think of a better introduction to a character than him being that fat guy to tell. Yeah. Him. You're just yeah. like, well, and like the, you know, like, and how the mood changes in mm. the, in the whole cell block. Yeah, like, like William Sadler's to like, whoa, just to like, like shut up, man. Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, it's so upsetting, dude. Yeah. But yeah, he, he's fucking great. I was he's just so watching, good. I was at work yesterday and I got to usher like the beginning of Buckaroo Bandai. And he's oh, yeah, in he's that, in that. Yeah, and yeah. He's like really yeah. young, like again, almost yeah. unrecognizable. Loads of people in that. Yeah. Um, I should finish it because it seemed really fucking weird. Yeah, Buckaroo Bandai's um, crazy. Yeah. But Clancy Brown is great. Yeah. Yeah, I've always really liked him. I he didn't, um, like, John just, Wick. He didn't the latest John Wick. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking great. Enough. Yeah, like, he's just so fucking likable. I don't know what it is. Like, he's been to the cinema before, too, like, because... I mean... Yeah, we had, we had this, like, Highlander thing, and Clancy oh, cool. Brown, and uh, what's his name? Fucking Raiden. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The main Christopher character. Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert. Yeah, Lambert. Yeah. They, Lambert. they both were at the cinema for this, like, um, for this Highlander, like... I don't know. Was it thirty years? Maybe in t- 2017. 
Um, and yeah, it was really, really fucking cool. And like, you know, like I popped my head in for a bit and was listening to him and he was just like really fucking cool. And I don't know. I just really like Clancy Brown, but he, he said he received several offers from real life corrections officers to make like, you know, to help him make his portrayal of Hadley realistic. And he was going to do it and he was going to speak to some people, but he spoke to Frank Darabont and this goes more into like Frank Darabont's sort of like mindset of this being like sort of like a tall tale. He told him to turn them down. He said that uh, he told uh, Clancy Brown that how he saw and how we see Hadley isn't necessarily how he really is. It's how Andy and Red see him, which is really interesting, interesting idea, you know, because it's just like we don't want you to be like a normal, you know, prison guard. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, you don't want to like. You don't need to be realistic. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. your ideas, you're like the f- most evil fucker here. Like the what is like Red called him the hardest, like the hardest dick in is that what he says? Is something the hardest yeah, dick in like Shawshank yeah. or something like that? Yeah, he the, doesn't need to be this like fully fledged, like realistic character, but he's you know, integral to their story here. And he's kind of like a boogie a boogeyman. You know, yeah, he needs yeah. to be just fucking terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Evil. You need to be able to see him as evil. Yeah. Because so, again, at the end, he gets fucking busted, and you can't be like, "Oh no!" But he seemed really nice when he was with his wife. You know, like yeah, yeah. He's so good at playing these characters, though. Again, like Hark- like I'm always talking about Pet Cemetery films, but man, he's so fucking evil in Pet Cemetery too, as well. Like he's like the same guy. So it's like it works so well him playing these characters. Uh, we were talking about William Sadler as well, who literally played Death. You know, um, yeah. as Haywood. He apparently Frank Darabont was working. It was all the way back in like 1989 and Frank Darabont, you know, he was writing, he was in his horror phase and he was writing episodes of tales from the crypt. And he met William Sadler on set. In one of the episodes that he was working on. And, uh, he talked to him all the way back then. Cause like I said, he had, it was like 1987. He had the rights and it would take him years to kind of like get to making the film. But he talked to Sadler all the way back then. And basically it was just like, I'll want you in this film when I eventually make it. <laughs> nice. Funny. Uh, you, you'll get a job in 10 years. We get Gil Bellows as well as Tommy Williams. So yeah, Tommy's really integral to the story because it's like, he's your hope that you're going to get out. Again, this is more than the other stems of this arc. Yeah. Because this is one big arc breaking the law. Um, ironic that we were arrested while doing this. Um, <laughs> but like more than the other two, I feel like we're about to just watch the same four movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because how again, can you change the prison dynamic? You can't. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, and where does it start? Like, yeah. It, um, but like, you know, it just shifts. And like next week, the different genre wise, tone wise. Yeah. But plot wise, it's kind of similar. The beats yeah. are kind of similar. And the, the, the other one, the one after that had this character had the, the young, like the Tommy character, the young boy who comes in. Yeah. The young boy. And I think it's done better in that one. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it just reminds me of that, but yeah, I would forget, I would forget about this aspect. And I, yeah. And one of, I think it's the bit that pisses me off most in the, in this movie, not in that yeah. bad, in that, like I get angry. Yeah. The yeah. Cause the whole I thing is that. really fucked up. It's the old, like the whole injustice, such fucking corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, okay. So this, I, I think the way this lines into the next film is like really fucking good because this whole plot point, 
by this point, Andy is like really fucking ingrained into the system of being like the wardens and, and also the entire prison's like bitch boy when it comes to being their like, you know, accountant and he's handling sure. all these things and he's making the warden money unpaid like, over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And, um, hand over fist. Meanwhile, the warden is doing all these schemes where he's basically turning the prison system into the pr- pr- what is really a fucking major problem in real life today. An yeah, industrial but, complex where it's basically yeah. slave labor. Like yeah. slavery exists in America it's to like a fucking yeah. major scale. And it's like a big fucking business is basically prisons. And mm. you have these poor men largely black men going to prison in America for fuck fucking nothing crimes and being put to work and making products and companies are buying these products for like pennies on the dollar compared to like what they would pay if they actually were going to a fucking company who paid their employees fair wages and because they know they can get it from prisons and they're making like the same fucking product or whatever. And, you know, like clothing and all sorts of shit being made in prisons by prisoners for nothing or like pennies, you know, just basically enough to like put a fucking little bit of money in their account so that they could buy like cigarettes or something from the commissary. Yeah. It's fucking insanely evil. It's really fucked up. Yeah. It, 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 like, and that was that, I guess, already happening when he was like. Yeah. Like the way they sort of alluded to it. It acted like a precursor to what we have in America now. Yeah. The prison complex. Yeah. Privatized sort of institutional. You, uh, you, you see, uh, I think next week's film is going to be interesting to talk about in that situation of like what they're actually doing in that film. Cause this film, another, and it's another thing and it doesn't bother me a lot, but like it kind of, I felt like I read some, somebody had a complaint about how it feels like, you know, of course there's the, the bulls, the prison guards, and the whole and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of time there's a lot of meandering in this film. Like people are out in the yard and they're talking and like, you know, stories driven by like people And the, it. A lot of it has to do with Andy coming in and kind of changing the vibe of everyone being a really positive person and kind of like being so friend, like, you know, he's so friendly and everybody becomes his friend and they all like look up to him and he's respected and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, doesn't feel like people with the exception of Brooks and then Andy kind of gets put into the, into the, um, you know, the library. And then he pulls red in like just during tax season and stuff. But like, you don't see other people doing jobs and shit in the film. It's a lot of the narration and the plot is kind of like, you know, you never see it there. And it's all like in these like passages of time and stuff. And just, it's like convenient points and stuff. Whereas like there's other prison films where a lot of like, points of like the uh, plot are driven by like things that they're doing in certain work related aspects and stuff. Cause like, that's a large part of prison, especially in America, man. Dude. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's slave labor. Again, in the prison movie, you should, that everybody should watch fiction. It's a documentary 13th. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. about this specifically directed by Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. Fucking incredibly. It's so interesting. It's really fucked up, but like, it's a good, really in-depth view of the situation of yeah. Yeah, prison in America and how, yeah, like it's just getting away with slavery in a whole yeah. different context. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's sort of the thing with this. Like you, you asked like, you know, 
when it comes to the the warden on this film it's like i think alluding to him like creating these deals which kind of set up that complex but it's like it's funny because i don't know like a lot has changed in the last 30 years i feel like it's become even bigger you know like it just just continues to get worse so yeah it's kind of crazy like you know i don't know like a lot of it had had a lot of you know ties into the war on drugs as well because like you know this is like you know, these men going to it's prison. It's an excuse to put fucking... Yeah, like, oh, like, marijuana. Minorities in jail, like, fuck's sake, yeah. And then you just basically, you know, you use them as in fucking three slavery. And then coming yeah. in in the late night, and stuff and one, it's just, oh, the fucking yeah. storm of shit. Yeah, it's fucking horrible. Really fucking horrible. It, and it's something, it's not, there's not much of a streak of it in this movie, but you get it in next week's movie. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's it. Yeah. In terms of like, like the issue of racism. Yeah. Uh, not just America, but like just in the prison system. It's like because it is, you know, largely, you know, filled with, <laughs> like you said, black men, people of color, like minorities are like booked on like bullshit charges and like thrown into the jail that only like, Ruin their chances on the outside, exacerbate them as people. Like, yeah, like you know, you could. It doesn't. It's not the point. Is not the focus. Is not rehabilitation. It's just incarceration. It's just yeah. keeping these people there. And it's like you're just making more criminals that way. Surely, because that's all you kind of can do on the inside, and then that's all you can really do on the outside. But yeah, yeah and then forcing them to work and these fucking people at the top making like a dollar off them. It's just unbelievably like unethical and just evil and fucked up. And it's only, yeah, gotten bigger and more prevalent and more prolific in. Yeah. Capitalism is crazy. I mean, just like all the billionaires owning fucking everything as well. Just like, <laughs> cool. Let's watch fucking, you know, Zuckerberg and, and, uh, Elon Musk fight in a ring. It's like, we're literally just idiocracy now. <laughs> well, anyway, before Gil Bellows took the role of Tommy Williams, it was actually originally intended for Brad Pitt, but Brad Pitt had just come off of Thelma and Louise, and he like basically found a lot of success at that point, and uh, his career just like really took off off the back of that, and he ended up getting the lead role in Interview with the Vampire, so <laughs> he took that, and I'm like. Fair enough, man. Yeah, yeah, get that. Interview with the Vampire is fucking fun, dude. It's a fun fucking movie. James Whitmore, he plays Brooks Hatlin. Uh, basically, I didn't, I couldn't find too much about him in general, but like, I did find this was really interesting. So the film was overseen by the American Humane Society, basically because the know, bird. Yeah, Brooks has a bird, a pet bird in prison. Jake, pet bird Jake, his pet crow. And during the one scene at the dinner table where Andy finds a maggot in his dinner, Brooks feeds it to a pet crow and the American Humane Society representative objected, saying that it was cruel to the maggot. And the crew then had to find a maggot that had died of natural causes in order to complete the scene. And with that, Phil, we are going to call snack time. Down, but now I'm having 
inside my prison cell. It's snack time. It's snack time. Well, it's snack time. I'm having snack time inside my prison cell. It's snack time. It's snack time. God, <laughs> perfect. Did you bring Pringles for a snack? You just there. No, I'm just Pringles. eating Pringles. Um, here we go. It's been a long, hard day at work. Yeah, and you know, just like the guy doing the roof. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like you can't. It, it goes down easier with a bottle of thud. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. Look at my boy here. It's an evening record as well on a Saturday. It's like oh, yeah. Saturday, it's an evening. I watched two prison movies. I'm down. Well, how did you manage to get a beer in prison, though? Like, I, it makes sense if you're like, you know, pulling an Andy Dufresne sort of. I That's a guy. I know a guy. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. You don't want to know how they got it in here. All right. So what brand do you have? What, what are you drinking here? Just you're going to suck it back. Is it a Peroni? A Peroni? Yeah. I like a Peroni. I like mm-hmm. the light sort of. Is it a Libera? No, no. What is that? Libera, Libera. <laughs> it's uh, Peroni Natto Enduro Italy. It's full, full beer. That's full beer. The alcohol in it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's been out a while, so it's kind of room temperature. Nice. Does it make you? Does it make you feel like normal? You know, just for once. Yeah, like I'm. You know, like in my mind at least, I feel free. <laughs> good, 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 good. Nice. I would offer you one, but I know you're not drinking, yeah, like Andy Dufresne. Yeah, I don't drink. I just, you know, it was, it was just my, my gift, gift to you. You know, Thank you. We've all worked hard, and you nearly yeah. got thrown off a roof when you were trying yeah. to get the beard. No. Podcast positions, you know. I was just like, you know, come on, man. You know, we feel a lot better about this if like you know i mean yes phil i am having to like give weird advice you know to these guards and stuff about like you know money and stuff i mean they they don't know that i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna say you don't know you no, just like, signed them all up yeah. for our patreon have you? Uh, yeah, yeah basically, basically. Yeah. we're gonna get that freak in a cage <laughs> We're finally in prison. Like we're the freaks in the we cage. We are now. the freaks in the cage. We did it. <laughs> How oh, cool and ironic fate is. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, how many um, how many film canisters to like the bull? What do they call them? The bull queer? What do they call them in this film? What well, the sisters? The sisters. Yeah, I can't remember what red refers. It's like bull something. He's like a yeah because well, it's a prison bull. He's a prison bull. That's the name. The prison bull. Because you know it's the whole thing. I don't know. You get you can get lost on Twitter with people talking about you know prison sex, male on male prison sex, how it's not gay and stuff. And it's just like who cares? Who fucking cares? Who <laughs> cares? But they're like, oh no, no, because it's prison, man. It's prison, bro. And it's just like you're trying to keep up this this whole thing of masculinity and stuff. And it's just like who cares, dude? Who yeah, cares? this movie had to better handle it when he's just like he's like, uh, would it help if I said I wasn't gay? And he's like, neither are they. You'd have to be yeah. human first. <laughs> I feel like next week has a better handle on homosexuality in prisons. It surprises so, a ton. Yeah, and it doesn't even, and it's really surprising too. Being and it 
like I forgot about it. It's it is slightly jokey, but it's also like very. It has a really heartbreaking, really sweet, sentimental, and uh, yes, we'll get to that next. Week. We'll get it. We'll get it. It's better in that movie. Um, this is all right. It's solid. It's a normal beer. It would have been. Better. It, I should have just got it right at the fridge. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't done enough today. You know, like I don't. I've you know. I'm like any guy. I've, come to a point where I can pretend to like beer. Yeah. But like when I like it most, it's after like a long, hard day of working or something. Like after a shift, a nice cold beer at night. And when I go out drinking, I don't drink beer. Yeah. But yeah, this is nice. Um, doesn't have a year on it, unfortunately. It is, um, it's solid, man. I give it three and a half reel. Three and a half reels to the head. Nice. You're fighting off those evil bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always put up a fight in prison. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting. You said that you, I, I literally like talking about having a um, beer just make you feel good after a hard day or whatever or whatever. Like, I literally had a conversation with Julia earlier today where I was talking about like how I am, like I'm over the like the mindset sometimes where you're just like, oh man, I could really do with the beer right. Now. Like, I don't even, I don't think about that anymore, which is really, because I haven't, yeah, I'm from not drinking for so long now that it's like, coming up on two years, it'll be like two years in like November, that's nuts. Anyway, uh, Phil, I have. What you got, what you got the camera pants down? The maggot, the maggot. Oh Oh my God, dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, I got a little bit of. I got a little bit of oatmeal. Remember, remember the war arc, and you can't yeah. get the canned food. <laughs> All the, the worst shit. Yeah. Now this this will be the same thing where you just yeah. like oh, just fucking oatmeal and cornbread every week, man. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like the the oatmeal, like I I said when we started to record that I was like, oh yeah, like you know I might do it earlier than I have it planned for because like you know sort sort of time sensitive, you know. But it's literally just been sitting here like for the last hour and uh, almost two hours. And I'm just like sitting here like, yeah, it actually just looks like it doesn't, you know, it kind of, it's all stodgy and gross looking now, which I think is actually kind of perfect. It looked fucking stiff. Looked like it's been sitting out for a while. Okay. It is uh, just some good porch. I love porch. I've had porch all the time now, Um, but I did, I did. There's not a maggot in it, Phil. There's not a maggot, but there is a little bit of peanut butter in there. That's, Ooh, how we roll. <laughs> oh, that's how we roll. <laughs> it's just so cold. Oh, it's not bad though. I don't know. I think I just like porridge enough that like it's okay. <laughs> of course, it would be better if it was hot. Well, I don't know, man. How about? Um, I mean, you would get sick of this if you had it like this all the time. It was just day, like, yeah. especially if it just wasn't hot and it was just stodgy and it maybe had maggots in it. That's your protein there. <laughs> yeah. So far, is that the worst thing about jail? What not having like warm porch? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. I got a beer though, so I'm doing pretty yeah, well. You're doing good. I remember, this is like last time. It really is. Again, it's just mirroring special privilege. Mirroring the prison. Oh, so the war arc. I think the guys know that you're fucking up their tax and so they're trying to punish you. <laughs> How many um, low-key, like, dropping... <laughs> <laughs> like, how many, you know, trip to the yard where you're dumping dirt out of your pants do you give it? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, it's cold, so it gets stuck. I don't want to be that way, though, because, like, man, I'm going on legit shit with the fucking, you know, peanut butter in there as well. And, and normally I really like it. And you could put a little bit of, ban- you put some bananas down at the bottom. I didn't put any bananas in here, but, dude, I have to do the same thing because, like, grits. It's like that thing. Oh, yeah, the grits. I still have a few, and I, I've had a couple of mills with grits. Thick of them? With, no, 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 no. The exact opposite. The grits with the eggs, I've been doing it. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, fucking so good. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try that shit. I need to go to, like, a, U, like a U.S. Yeah. market. So, but, yeah, anyway, it's, like, uh, oh, I love it. I love porch. So. How many suggestive fingers through a hole in the poster do you give it? <laughs> you know there? exactly what you What's think. in there? <laughs> it's so gentle. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just keep going. Yeah. I'm giving it I'm giving it four, dude. I don't care. Fuck it. Fuck okay, it. Four, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're trying to impress these guys. They don't give a shit. They're gonna make you have the same thing next week and you know it. <laughs> We'll see. Maybe by the fourth week. You're saying your cold oatmeal is better than my beer. Subjectively, Phil. Just like, well, is this film the f- best film of all time? Maybe top, yeah. <laughs> it's all subjective. Nothing matters. I found an ex- excerpt from Entertainment Weekly in 94. You know, one of those, like, it's really fun finding these, like, um, things sometimes when I'm putting together these episodes. Because you get to go, it's like a time castle, back in time, when they were writing these weird articles about these films while they're being made. And, you know, someone goes to the set, and they were talking to um, Tim Robbins. And uh, this excerpt from 94 says, Today we were reshooting a scene where I pick a maggot out of my oatmeal, says co-star Tim Robbins. It is August in the drought year of 1993, and after three months in the heat of the gothic gloom of the old Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, cast and crew are attuned to the tiny gestures of defiance that make life inside bearable. The first time we shot it, Robbins continues, someone from the ASPCA was on set because we were using a bird that day. We were informed by the person that we weren't allowed to kill the maggot on screen. So today for the reshoot, someone made a little matchstick director's chair with this, uh, with a star <laughs> on it and maggot on the back. We put the maggot on, on his chair between takes. Robin's belly laugh lasts a good long time. Then his famous baby face goes deadpan. I don't want to give the impression I don't care about maggots. <laughs> That's a really good impression. That's actually not to get to Robin. It's just funny, man. I don't know. I care about animals. And even <laughs> I'm like, it's a fucking maggot, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's going to turn into a fly and then, like, fuck it. Who cares? Fuck these maggots. They're gross. It's disgusting. Fuck. Gross, yeah. Uh, even to a bird, that. it's good for the bird. Birds eat yeah. maggots. Like, what you're not like, anything. you're not like, oh. disrupt- bro, you're not disrupting, like, the fucking chain of command here. The yeah. fucking. Circle of Life, Lion King shit. Like it's He's going to live 24 hours anyway. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, should we just wait? Should we just wait until it quote-unquote died of natural causes? Or we could just give the bird a fucking meal. Uh, Mark Ralston, he plays 
Boggs Diamond, the head of the sisters. One of the, the prison rapists. Yeah. Not a fan of this bit in the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not hard, nice. It's hard to watch. It's the bit it's where you have nice. to like really get through. And again, it's all like well done and you know, it's not like mm-hmm. gratuitous, but it's just like so fucking upsetting. And they're yeah. so awful, these people. Yeah. He said, Oh, playing what is he like playing playing hard to get? Hard to get. I like that. I like I that. hate I hate that shit. I hate that shit when a guy's like, ooh, hard that to dude, get. Mark Rolston, I know I've seen him in shit before, but like in this he film, face. he looks like modern day Bruce Springsteen. It's really fucking weird. Like he, he gives he gives modern day Bruce Springsteen vibes. I don't sure. know. <laughs> Just imagine him like with his like fucking you know rolled up sleeves with the cigarette. You know, yeah, just yeah. coming in, just like working all day, drinking all day. Yeah, uh, James Gandolfini apparently. Is, you know, talking about Jersey. Uh, he turned down the role for <laughs> Boggs Diamond. That was a fucking. Hey man, he was the king of the king of fucking. I don't know the Sopranos, wherever he was at Long Island On TV. I mean, that was New York. I don't. Who cares? Uh, Jeffrey DeMond plays the prosecuting d- attorney in Dufresne's trial. And I only brought him up because he's like literally in everything that Frank Darabont does. He must just be best friends with him. He doesn't he mind in, doing all the take. He was in the Green Mile as one of the other prison guards. He's in the mist. He plays Dale in The Walking Dead. So once he got killed off in The Walking Dead... He ended up jumping ship over to Frank Darabont's project called like Mob City or something like that that he did right after he got, you know, his whole, you know, thing with Darabont and The Walking Dead and shit. So, yeah. So Darabont revealed a few changes were made during the filmmaking process. First, the uh, script originally left it ambiguous as to whether Red Morgan Freeman actually met up with Andy in Zehuataneo, Mexico. So the original script ended with Red on a bus, uncertain about the hopeful future. And that's the way like Stephen King's story ends as well. Yeah, but that's um, when they do the big Hollywood ending. Yeah. But yeah, it was the studio's executives. They were like, after two hours plus of hell, you owe it to them. Like, yeah, to show them. Yeah. Having a baby <laughs> hug. And then some other changes in the film from inside the book include... Uh, so in the book, Andy smuggles $500 into the prison up his bottom. Uh, and this is where he gets his money to pay for things like the rock hammer and stuff. And he also uses his money to pay other inmates to beat up Boggs. So Boggs being the leader of the sisters who assault Andy repeatedly, you don't really see him in the book ever again after this. But it's Hadley in the film who paralyzes Bog by beating the shit out of him because by this point, Andy's like in with the guards and shit. Yeah, yeah. Tommy isn't killed in the book. I already mentioned he was pr- transferred to another prison and Brooks dies in an old of old age in a care home. Yeah. In the movie, we never find out the crimes of our main characters, what they're convicted of, except for Andy, um, with the exception of Red, who basically gives the deets at the very beginning of the story, where he basically says that he murdered his wife by disabling her brakes to her car. While she happened to have a neighbor and a neighbor's child in the car as well, which he didn't intend on that happening. Uh, and he got caught for tampering with the brakes. And uh, yeah, so he, he murdered his, you know, he murdered his wife and these two people. And he got 
put in prison. Yeah. Brooks also murdered his uh, wife and his daughter after a losing streak at poker. (laughs) In the film, uh, Andy tells Red where to look for the tree. And in the book, Red takes it upon himself to look for a place that Andy described. I think that actually makes more sense in, you know. Yeah, because in the the movie, you just like, you got to promise me something. Yeah. You got to go to this place. Don't ask about it. It's a tree. I've I've got laid there once. You'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's a rock there that doesn't look (laughs) like a rock. Yeah. But at least like, like Andy tells him to go. Yeah. But like, it's more Stephen King-esque magical in the book, which kind of doesn't make sense in a film, like for him to just be like, yeah, I'm going to go check out All this. All the changes are much better <laughs> yeah. for the film. They work yeah. way better. And yeah, we already mentioned that there's like three wardens in the book and Darabont made the decision to combine them all into one. Yeah, much better. After Andy's escaped, uh, this is some interesting Stephen King shit here. The warden wants them to question Red, and when they call to open Red's cell, they they shall open 237, which is the same number as the room in The Shining, and it's also the same amount of change that the four boys in Standby may collect between them, $2.37. So yeah, that's like the trademark Stephen King number. The amount of time. (laughs) Made him do this this scene. (laughs) Yeah. It's something funny. So yeah, although the film is set in Maine, obviously Stephen King, all of his shit's set in Maine. Uh, It was it was actually shot in Ohio, and at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio, which served as the fictional Shawshank State Penitentiary, the facility had been shuttered three years earlier in 1990 due to inhumane living conditions. So yeah, of course, let's uh, go to that place to shoot. Why not? Uh, Everybody get their own cell here. Though. <laughs> that's not always the feature. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, that the library is true. very nice. It, internal scenes in the prison cell blocks were filmed on a soundstage built inside of a nearby shuttered uh, Westinghouse electric factory. Since Darabont warning, wanted the inmate cells to face each other, like almost all of the cell blocks were shot on that purpose-built set at that factory. Except for the scene where they show Elmo Blatch. So he's the guy who admits that yeah, he yeah, killed yeah. Andy's, you know, wife and her lover. This gross looking guy. Yeah, golf pro. So that was actually filmed in the prison in one of the confined cells. Uh, the success of the movie, though, helped boost the fortunes of Mansfield, Ashland, and Upper Sandusky, Ohio, three towns that feature 13 sites used as locations. Tourism has increased every year since Shawshank had its premiere. And according to Mansfield Richland County Convention um, and Visitors Bureau, the movie brought in more than 18,000 visitors and produced a estimated $3 million boost to the local economy in 2013 alone. See, this is what I mean. I like this movie. I wouldn't go <laughs> out the fucking yeah. location. Like, they yeah. don't mean that much to me. But, like, yeah. good, good for those towns. Town. I thought you were going to be like, they opened a Shawshank prison. People love going to things, though. Like a yeah. themed restaurant, but a themed prison. Wasn't like the whole thing we were talking about in like uh, Enforce Gump. Like they had the, the, you know, the bench became a thing. And then. Yeah, yeah. There was even the bench in like 500 Days of Summer or whatever. It was like a big. Hey, thing that overlooked well. that view. Yeah. That they keep going back to. Yeah. Two thoughts too deep, man. I'm, telling you. I'm having a lot of deep thoughts. 
Hint, hint. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, Morgan Freeman, this, I mean, this is just funny, dude. Morgan Freeman recorded his narration to the film in a 90 minute session prior to filming. And they played that while they filmed. Oh, the film that's funny. To set the tone. That you get sick of the sound of your own voice. After yeah. That. yeah. But when they were editing the film, they noticed that there was some weird static on the recordings. That yeah, Morgan because Freeman you were did. fucking playing the fucking narration during the shooting. No, no. It was um, Morgan Freeman's narration. They noticed. Oh, static. okay. And he had to go and re-record it. And f- for whatever reason, this time it took three weeks to get it right. This is why he fucking hated Frank Darabont. I don't know if this is true or not, because I didn't see that anywhere else, but I did see this in one place. And it just made me like, I was like, dude, after all those fucking multiple takes and fuck to think he went and did seven the next year. It's like, what? I'm just imagining Morgan Freeman. Oh. Like, just like, oh, God, just kill me now. Just... He's like, no, my son, but I will make you God so you can uh, <laughs> experience, you know. So he had Bruce Almighty before Bruce oh, had Almighty, you know. So he had Almighty. It was Morgan's Almighty. And then yeah, it became yeah. Bruce Almighty. Oh, okay. It was based on a true story. That's how he became the voice of God. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. yeah. Evan Almighty was just because they wanted to lap up, you know. It's just Steve Carell. Steve Carell had become a star. That could be funny. No that could be funny, too. I'm funny. I'm funny. <laughs> Steve Carell is funny. I'm just I know. Why I, mean, it's like, I, love, I love Steve Carell. I think one of my favorite movies, like lo- it's like a low key banger that like, I love, you know me. I love a low key banger, like a film. No one fucking talks about me and Dan in real life. Dan in real life. I knew you were going to so say that. Good. So good. So that good. Film is so good. Dude. Nobody knows yeah. it. Uh, the film's score was composed by Thomas Newman. Newman said that he felt the film had elicited such strong emotions without music that he found it really difficult to compose one that would like elevate scenes with without distracting them. Yeah, that's a good job. He never distract, never never overbearing. It's like it's perfect. It just like, works I really so enjoyed well. the score. So good. I, I really like. It. I mean, we talked about it at the top, but like you know, yeah, great success as well. He delivers this really fucking awesome score. And then the soundtrack was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score and a Grammy Award for Best Instrumental Composition written for a motion picture or television. But they lost both. To what? what? Do you think? In 1994. The only thing I can think of in Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction, but those. I can't think of anything else that came out of The Lion King. Oh, shit. Big time. And you, yeah, you just kind of referenced it. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. One day, my son, all this will be yours. (laughs) Newman's score, though, it was really successful in excerpts from it were used in movie trailers for years afterwards. Because, you know, like a lot of times they take music from other films or whatever before they have a proper score. But yeah, leading up to its release, the film test screened with the public. There were. Uh, like these were described as through the roof and Glotzer said that like uh, Liz Glotzer, the producer said that they were some of the best she had ever seen. But funny enough, they decided not to mention that Stephen King had, you know, any, you know, anything to do with the story in the advertisement for the film, I guess not to evoke the thoughts of horror stories. The genre. Yeah. Yeah. Like the shining and Cujo. Yeah. No, I understand. You'd want to distance from him. Yeah. It's funny now because now it would be like a selling point, right? Like yeah. Stephen King, Stephen yeah. King, from Stephen King, this yeah. thing, you should watch it. 
The film was eventually released in September 1994, and during its opening weekend, the film earned $727,000 from 33 theaters. It received a wide release on the October the 14th of 1994, expanding to a total of 944 theaters to earn $2.4 million. And the Shawshank Redemption closed in late 1994, November 94, um, after 10 weeks with an approximate total gross of $16 million. And it was basically a box office bomb. bomb. Yeah, because it didn't recoup its $25 million. So, yeah. Like a wonderful life or like a... Yeah. I feel like Clinton Kane, the same sort of thing. These movies don't do well when they come out, but they're like, mm-hmm. they're applauded by critics and then are reappraised or like they yeah, do well yeah. in vi- on video or on TV, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, absolutely. But it, it's, it's, it was a tough time. I mean, it was competing with Pulp Fiction, who did $108 million. And uh, it also premiered in October following its Palm d'Or win as well. So, like, that was a big deal. And then Forrest Gump, $330 million. And it was in the middle of a successful 42-week theatrical run. So, Damn, that soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) While critics praised the film, producer Lids Glotzer believed that a lackluster review from Kenneth Turan of Los Angeles Times pushed crowds away. Turan lamented, its message of hope and friendship comes premixed with a sizable dollop of unappetizing violence intended to convince audiences that they're watching a, uh, what they're watching isn't a big glob of cotton candy after all. <laughs> funny enough though, funny enough, if we want to take a very similar sort of idea, cotton candy, take a similar idea. Frank Darabont was once told by Steven Spielberg that Shawshank Redemption was a chewing gum movie. If you step on it, it sticks, it sticks to your shoe. But that's like the opposite. It's like, that's a positive. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it is so true. And that's kind of like what I felt. You know, you're watching the shit. You just get lost in it, dude. It's like, you know, it has sticks on you, man. That with, again, without like Frank Dabar had his own style, but like that shade of Spielberg in terms of just like, maybe it's just yeah. that sentimental streak that he had like clean there's something clean about it as well clean and like and maybe that's deacons as well like the camera is like always in the perfect place Mm -hmm. you know um but green mile had it as well and that's a weirder movie yeah more supernatural and stuff a little more i i really like the green mile i know i love the green mile it's really good yeah i don't mean that in a bad way i fucking love the green mile and it's upsetting and it's wonderful but it's also very cheesy yeah, and it's absolutely. Be very uplifting yeah. and optimistic, and that's just a thing. And that's Spielberg. That's his thing. His movies are like overly, yeah. You know, they're big family-friendly popcorn flicks, and that's, that's why people like him because he doesn't. Nobody does it as better as good as he does. Yeah, fuck anyone who has anything bad to say about Spielberg. It's like fuck off, dude. Dude, dude. dude, it's, dude it's the maybe it's not a fair comparison, but it's yeah. the John Cena thing, right? Where it's like. This dude had enough good matches that, like, that's not even an argument anymore, surely, yeah, yeah. right? Like, Spielberg had made some of the greatest movies of all time. At least, like, five or ten of them. Yeah. You know, like... He can do just, whatever the fuck he, he wants. Whatever, he, could, he could do shit for 20 years. Look, look at yeah. The Simpsons. We still yeah. talk about The Simpsons lovingly, and it's only good for a third of its run. Yeah. If you, like, it is still going. But, like, the first ten years is everything that people, like, reference and talk about. It's that kind of yeah. 
I, I love I love you saying that, but at the same time, it's like, man, like people if people sleep on like like that next ten years or that next ten years, there's so many good like fucking banger movies and Spielberg. You don't style. want to miss like the terminal. <laughs> catch me if you can. Yeah, do catch don't me. Don't be sleeping. Yeah. On, don't be sleeping on latest Spielberg. Yeah, because like even like modern Spielberg, you know, you sit there and you like, all right, whatever. So watching the Fablemans, apparently. It's yeah. Oh man, the Fablemans is so good. I was gonna say like, you know, you could sit there and watch like Ready Player One, and you're like, okay, big fucking crazy bullshit, but you still get sucked into it, and it's like there's still some quality there. It, it's not great, but there's still some quality there. But yeah, the, then he will just come out and do the Fablemans, and you're just like, God damn, you got it, my man, still got it. This was the thing about like, I don't think we have a. We didn't do an episode about it, but like this was my thing about Indiana Jones, the new one, and it's just like there was something missing. And like, say what you want about the fourth one, but like, it's Spielberg, and it feels yeah. feels like Spielberg. Feels like Spielberg, and this one yeah. just doesn't. It yeah. tries, and yeah. it, it gets there some of the time, but it just doesn't. That's have the problem, that. though, with a lot of these like films. Like, or these classic franchises where they're like bringing them back. Like, you know, it's the same thing with the Star Wars and stuff. You know, it's like you're just never going to capture that like lightning anymore. Like, we need to stop trying. Even like fucking George Lucas couldn't do it in the fucking late 90s, early 2000s. So it's like, come on, just like move on. But, you know, shit makes too much money and money talks, bullshit walks. So, exactly. Whatever. Well, look, I and I always knew if we're going back to Spielberg, I always knew Jurassic Park as a good example. Because, sure, I know this is subjective, whatever. But there's only like one good Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, debatable with the second one being kind of a fun time. But yeah, yeah. but Spielberg directed it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But they just keep making those. Yeah, movies. yeah. You know, it, that, because they just keep making money, right? Like same with yeah. Transformers. Yeah, yeah. like no, like nobody liked them, but they keep. Who's out. yeah? Who's going? Who to are see they them, for? But they're still making. Them. You know, at least like Fast and Furious, like what great for a bit and yeah. now it has its like fan base that enjoys that and like it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter where critics say it yeah. doesn't matter because it exists in its own void and like we live like i don't know is this 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 could go with all these franchises we live in this like fucking bubble here like in the western world where we're like you know we you know we're thinking about these things and how we keep getting all this shit, but we don't even think about the gangbusters business these films do overseas, in like in China, and India, and oh my god, like yeah, like they in, shoot themes in that, the east, you know? like like you know that I think that's like what's really interesting when it comes to like Ariane's perspective of like the um you know of like the Fast and Furious movies when you talk to her and her she so like lovingly talks about it but like those films hit really hard in places like Indonesia and stuff yeah. you know and like but here they, we like, just like make fun of them yeah and it's just like it's a joke but they love they love that shit over there and it's like it's fucking huge movies <laughs> so it's like yeah whatever man and like you know that's why sometimes you just got to like sit back i mean i think the only thing that sucks is when these like big ass movies and stuff get made, you know, constantly getting made that like, it sucks for younger people who are trying to get things made, especially if these studios are fucking with like the amounts of money that people are making off of films and stuff. That's the problem. Like so, when we talk, when we talk about like superhero fatigue, comic book movie fatigue, we're not like, I'm not saying like, stop making it, like stop making the, like they're all bad. Like there are some good ones, but it's like, this is all you make. Yeah, you just all your movies are like 
IP they're very same like, they remake they reboot they're based off a toy or a comic or another show or something like that another product uh, something that's pre-established is nothing really mm-hmm. fresh and it's just but that's just all you do like so much of studios the few that are left the major studios attention and money goes into these tentpole blockbusters they make fewer and fewer but bigger and bigger movies and the risk is higher right yeah and it's just all franchises right like everything yeah. that's come out it's like it's like, oh, that's good. That's why Barbenheimer was nice because there were two original. And I know Barbie, Barbie is based off a fucking toy, but like it has, you know, it's Greta Gerwig and it has like a fucking soul. It's not like, and I'm not saying I haven't seen Mission Impossible Seven, but like that number seven and Fast yeah. and Furious Ten and Garden, Guardians of Galaxy Three and whatever fucking bullshit Marvel is yeah. putting out that people are finally getting over and hopefully that forces them to do something different. Yeah. But like the problem is that they only do that, not that they do it at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just there's so much shady stuff going on right now and stuff in these studios and the amount of money that they're like making off of these like stupid franchises and they keep going to that fucking well and it doesn't matter because people are lapping it up and then they own all the streaming services and then they like, you know, it's all this stuff and now they're like taking people's fucking like whole existences for AI fucking created studio, like, you know, studio films like fuck who cares like. You know, let's scan a bunch of extras, and then we'll never need extras ever again. Oh, they're like, yeah, it's like, and we can just generate all these people. Who gives a fuck? And then, before you know it, it's just like you know, there's there's nothing, there's no soul anymore. Like, but you would only hope that like there's gonna be a banger ass like fucking underground scene, independent scene that a lot of people are gonna drift away to. The way the '90s happened, man, like. In the the early '90s, all these fucking people like a Tarantino, like a fucking um, uh, what's his face, uh, Rob, uh, Robert Rodriguez, and like you know these young guns, like even the Coens as well, like just making amazing independent films. Would you for like another like new Hollywood movement yeah. or like an American indie Hollywood movement? I think it might already be happening, but people are just not looking in the right place because I think the the market is like it's so like splintered now with so many different you know options for distribution yeah. like i think that should i think that's what prestige tv was yeah 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 and there are and that's what streaming if it's smart could be because it kind of is sometimes yeah and then you got like boutique like um like independent labels yeah yeah so. and that's more of those so i think it's yeah. kind of happening but i don't think it'll be like the obvious like spearheaded like a thing you can point to i think it'll be something we look back on and be like that was kind of happening there and then yeah. something needs to change i think I mean, it's I still gonna I don't know happen, if these old man. dinosaurs need to die yeah. or whatever but like fucking hell it's just I, it's not I, working obviously really we're saying that could we work in a cinema yeah yeah yeah, yeah directly yeah. affected yeah. by the shit yeah and it's like you know you just want like good fucking quality movies to come out, man. You just like want things with souls and like, you know, I'm really, I'm really like excited to see what my sister does and stuff. And like, I know other people out there are going to be like making films independently. Like you are as well. Like, you know, it's just like just doing like, just trying to do stuff, like just make a new scene, do your own thing. It's like, it's cause it's like hard, man. And I like, I think the older I get, the less like, you know, you start to see things about how you want your life to be 
in, in terms of like living your life on your own accord and stuff. And I'm trying to like think more positive, positively about that stuff and like, like put up less barriers for myself. Cause I spent so much time like, you know, Oh, you'll never make it music or you'll never do this and that and the other, but it's like, man, fuck it. Just be happy and do shit. And just, you know, you never know. And don't put up those barriers. You just want to be doing stuff that's creative. Cause I'm a creative person, but having fun uh-huh. and like doing it on my own accord. And having like a chance to breathe if I want to pull back from it. You know, that's my idea. I wouldn't want to be in that shit anyway. So like, I love the idea of like being in independent films and like, you know, just doing stuff like, you know, fucking low budget, greasy, (laughs) you know, just like the old way, man. Like fucking, oh God. They're like, it's so bleak looking at like the shit that just gets regurgitated all the time every day when you go to the cinema and you see these trailers it's like every so often there'll be like one like thing that intrigues you but most of us just like the same fucking movie that you're actually about to see like is another trailer for i went to the turtle the other day which fucking flapped by the way Mm -hmm. go watch it um but there's a trailer for gran turismo which looks like the which looks like the worst movie ever made, <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally ever made. And I was just like, and I think I turned to my brother. And I was like, you fucking count the many the amount of the thing a game line yeah. in it, and there was literally like ten in two minutes. Yeah, and it's directed by Neil Blomkamp, who did District Nine, and it's like fuck how just like what happened little, to you? How little <laughs> like this movie? Nobody go to see his movie, or like nobody will give him money. Yeah. To make his original shit, so he's like forced beat to do him. this. Join him, <laughs> and it's just no fucking. That was like fucking Ben Wheatley, fucking yeah. Kill List and shit. Just did the Meg Two, and it's like, yeah. wait, what the fuck is happening in Hollywood? Like, <laughs> yeah. it. I think it's just them like making a deal, like one for me, one for you. If I do this for you, will you fucking green light my next movie, please? Because nobody will make it. But like. God, that movie. Just watching that trailer, I was like, I hate this. I hate myself, and I hate movies. <laughs> Yeah, it looks yeah. like the worst thing ever. <laughs> Whatever, it doesn't matter. Man, we really like one. And that the Shawshank Redemption, everybody. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, Hollywood is the prison system. You, yeah, perfect. <laughs> you could take, you could cut out that last half an hour and just release that to Patreon. But yeah, yeah, it and it's just like Patreon. John and Phil on the state of Hollywood. Yeah, and it's like you know what else I hate. Morgan Freeman blamed the. Uh, the failure of Shawshank on the title. He said that like, it's an unmemorable title and uh, it's a confusing Tim, title. If you yeah. don't know what it is, you're like, what? Yeah. Tim Robbins recalled fans asking what's the shink shonk reduction thing. <laughs> Several alternative titles, like apparently were positive before the release due to concerns with it not being a marketable title, but the low box office was also blamed on the lack of female characters to broaden the audience demographics and the general unpopularity of prison films and the bleak tone used in the marketing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's funny because it's such a message of hope. But, however, you know, the film was, you know, nominated for several Oscars in, in 1995 and it went on to be re-released. It didn't win anything, but Morgan Freeman was up for an Oscar. Um, the film went on to be re-released in... February and March of 95, earning a further $12 million. So in total, the film grossed $28.3 million in the United States and Canada and $45 million from other markets for a worldwide total of $73.3 million. And despite this poor box office, the film really took off in video rentals, becoming one of the top rented films in 1995 
Then it became the most played films on TV, like one of the most played films, with Ted Turner acquiring the rights to Castle Rock in 93. So it allowed his TNT network uh, to show at a very low cost while charging premium advertising rates. And in 2014, the Wall Street Journal basically said that the margins studios take from box office returns, home media sales, the television licensing, the Shawshank Redemption had made an estimated $100 million. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, apparently like Warner, like regards it as being like a top tier asset because they have it on HBO as well. It's just because the Shawshank is just that. Yeah. It's insane. that. Well, you know, Phil, now that we got to see a story of, uh, you know, wrongfully convicted man, you know, one wrongfully convicted man serving a life sentence and breaking free. Next week, let's up the ante, Phil. We're going to see a story about two wrongfully convicted men serving life sentences who break free in the Eddie Murphy and uh, Martin Lawrence 1999 comedy. I bet people weren't seeing that comedy. You weren't expecting that, were you? Life. Life. They give you life. That's exactly what they take. <laughs> well, the part that counts. <laughs> terrible Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. You need to work on it. We've got nothing else to do. You can work we on it. Else. We're in yeah. jail. Yeah. You hear that? Exactly. Jail. Still can't believe the sound of Jetty Ventura banging on the door. I still can't believe they fucking brought him in. Just let him in, man. Weird. <sighs> Do you work here? He's just doing this. He's just showing. Oh, yeah, because we've been going a while. Yeah. yeah. A long time. Sorry, Jesse. All right. All right, guys. Kai, get into our like, yard time, so we should probably yeah. go. All right, guys. Well, right. Come back next week for a slightly more. I'm not, oh, fuck that. Actually, I can say a more uplifting <laughs> one. Of, like, this is like the most uplifting movie ever made. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A funnier one? Yeah, next week is definitely funnier. It's funnier, but it's a... Better? Possibly more, like, you know, depressing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. I mean, I can't wait for the people who, like, haven't seen life, who, like, are going to watch it to listen to us talk about it. And they're like, what the fuck? Why did they do this one? Dude. They don't realize how good it is. Fuck fucking like if you're if you are still listening to this if you haven't cut it off already yeah we should have cut it off go watch life please i beg you watch life i love life